Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following program is a Tin Can Media production. So get ready for some unbiased, left-right, and libertarian commentary from outside the corporate-owned media propaganda machine. Alrighty guys, happy Sunday and welcome to the Ignorance Equation. I am your benevolent host, Nick the Saucy One Catsaurus, humble servant of the people, and as always I am broadcasting to you live from the land of meth and honey, Caraville, Tennessee. And I also want to introduce my studious, my industrious, my academic producer, the Edison to my light ball, the Pythagoras to my A squared plus B squared equals C squared, the Newton to the apple of my eye, Tin Can D. Mm-hmm. What is up? What is up? What is up? What is up? Uh, yes, now able to be found as the producer D, just about everywhere. Um, I try to keep everything, you know, nice and flowing. So as we branch out into Tin Can Media. Just keep an eye on everywhere, every social thing. You can find me at either the producer D, or you can find Tin Can Media by Googling it very soon. Yes, indeedy. And also, I'd like to give um, D props. She is so self-sacrificing. Once again, she has put her needs and interests aside, and Maven Domestic, just like Dirty Minded Divas and so many other projects that she tries to get off the ground, has to take a back seat so the three of us assholes can mix it up every Sunday on this show. <laughs> so I'd like to thank Dee for that. Well, you know, something's got to give, so it happens. Who's our little martyr? You're a little martyr. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and a man who has a bachelor's degree in political discourse, a master's in disguises, and a Ph.D. in measuring the pH levels of his erotic bleach bath, the Wayne, the squeaky clean badger. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That was my squeakiness. Thank you. Oh, I was wondering if you were like developing a stutter or having a seizure on the other end. <laughs> That's possible too. With the jury is you know back yet, so we don't know. <laughs> Alrighty, and finally, a girl who checks facts more thoroughly than Badger's doctor checks his rectum. Researches numbers more diligently than Badger researches porn sites and vets statistics more closely than Badger examines his mail. Professor of keeping us assholes in line, Fern Thompson. 
Well, hello there, everybody. Hello, hello, hello. I, I, I'm feeling the love today. You know, that's a lot of uh, that's a lot of facts to research. If I'm researching more facts more diligently than Dwayne researches porn, that's a, that's like a full time and a half job. Mm-hmm. I no longer have to research it. It's memorized, indexed, and cataloged all in my brain. So there's no research involved anymore. <laughs> you have binders full of porn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Get terabytes, terabytes. Let's terabytes. <laughs> yeah, let's stay modern here. Speaking of modern, that music was Modern Age Decline, which is our pal Jason's um, new sideband from Narcoleptic Youth. He's got a new sideband, Modern Age Decline, and he will be on the panel today, which is why I mentioned him. See, who else is coming to the show, and why are we only having a couple more shows before we take a little break? Well, we are taking a huge break because we are not only going on vacation, but we are going on a working vacation, which would suck, except that we'll be at the beach. Woo! And uh, definitely keep an eye on our Facebook pages because we will be doing live vodcasts and podcasts while we are out at the beach. And you may just see the badger himself. Um, I can't guarantee you'll see him without a mask, but you will see the badger. Right, at least part of him. Uh, so, yeah, we are going to work on Tin Can Media, which will and be out at. Media? Of course, that will be our new podcasting network which will not only house the Ignorance Equation and Kettle of Fish and Friday Night Drunken Trivia and uh, Musical Osmosis and everything else we can think of and some of our good friends who have been wanting to do podcasts and vodcasts and bloggies, oh my. And we're going to spend a lot of time on that, and it will be housed at tincan.media, which is going to be super cool. So we're, we, we can't do everything all at once. So we're going to work on that, and um, we also have today, uh, in addition to Jason, we also have um, on Kettlefish, we're going to have Steve Trash, who is an eco-magician and upcycling illusionist, and that's going to be super fun. And then we're going to have uh, Paul Goebel's going to be on in a couple weeks, and we're going to talk um, our season finales and cliffhangers and such. And we are going to have uh, Cinderella is going to be on talking to us. Tom um, Kiefer from Cinderella. Tom Kiefer, yes. No, not the whole band, of course. We're going to have Tom oh, Kiefer. So and I then, thought you were actually going to have Cinderella, and then next you're going to have Snow White, and then maybe somebody else. Just because you broadcast this in glass slippers and nothing else doesn't mean everything is Cinderella, the one. Right. I know. Um, and then in a few minutes, we're actually going to have James Myers back, um, who, of course, for those who missed it, was the gentleman who was going to be put in jail over a freaking VHS that, from a store that doesn't even exist anymore. How crazy yep. is that shit? That's so we're going to talk to him in just a few minutes. Mm-hmm. All uh, Let me talk to you guys real quick. We're getting ready to go on vacation. For I, I haven't seen Dwayne physically I haven't even. I don't even know what your face looks like now. You probably have like sores and elephant man um, <laughs> jaw. Yes, I have elephantitis. You are you're correct. Ele- elephantitis and a tongue, but um, you know this is the first time that the four of us are together. And Odell, we're all going to get together and meet up in Virginia Beach. Somehow, Fern with her four kids is going to be housing 
a bunch of um, transients coming in from Pennsylvania. Jason's coming in. Dwayne's coming in. Some of my friends from Maryland, I'm sure, will be down during the summer. Uh, what do you guys think about this, that we're going to meet for the first time? We're going to do a couple live episodes. We're going to have to do trivia this year without Bursa, no Fern. How do you feel about that? Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm okay with that. I, I'm really, um, it's been an interesting ride, but I'm I'm okay with that. I'm I'm good with that, I have to say. Uh, but I'm really excited about having everybody together face-to-face and some of the conversations that we have just over uh, Google Hangouts like we did the other night, which was totally cool. Um, or on air, it's uh, even in our chat boxes. Sometimes it's it's really going to be great to just look everybody in the eye and be able to bounce stuff off of each other. It's uh, it's very exciting. I'm super happy about it. Yeah, until the Cleavers left us and went to bed at like ten o'clock because it was so no, late. We, we, we didn't go to bed. They were tired. The Cleavers. I thought they were getting off to uh, watch Bill Moore. Here you yes, go. we, kept, we got totally yeah, swept under the carpet for Bill Maher. So, Bill, if you're yeah. listening, you are that important. Yeah, DVR. Yes. You know, this is the, the millennial DVR. They have those things. Yeah, yeah we already have so much crap we got to watch anyway. Like, half the stuff we watch, we watch it on On Demand. Because no, we miss just, it live. Just, just, just forget it. it. No, no, Fern and I, we, <laughs> we talk shit about you the rest of the night between first you know, and there. All right, all right. I have to hurt. make a confession. I have to make a confession, guys. I can't be in the mood to be amorous without watching Bill Maher on Fridays. I just, I, I'm sorry, I can't do it. But no, but I to totally me, get so that. that. I have to have listen to enough. Rush Limbaugh, so it's good. <laughs> but you both were talking to me. That should have been enough. Well, you don't listen to Limbaugh because Rush Limbaugh is a conservative, and you just got no, I don't. Time this week for being a liberal, a filthy, dirty liberal. How yes. do you feel? Walk a mile in my shoes for a change. <laughs> it, the, it was so crazy because at first I thought, okay, this this is a well-articulated point. I don't agree with it, but here, let me give a counter. And it really wasn't a liberal post. It was just, hey, I disagree with you, and this is why, and, you know, what do you think? And it was, you know, I'm glad to see that you study politics. You've studied politics for 30 years. By all means, listen to the show, call in, chime in, give your opinion. And he's like, no thanks. I'm not giving the liberal a liberal the satisfaction or the time of day. And I was like, what the fuck? So what it was crazy. That comment. He was like, I'm not going to talk to a filthy liberal. I'm not calling it to the show. But Wayne, what did you find particularly awesome about that comment to like about it? I I just liked it. Just I was trying to appease the guy. I was trying, you know, trying to get a listener, and I was like, you know, it's just not liberals. It's just not. Burn, whatever she's classified at. I'm there too, and I said I agree with a lot of your posts. I just, you know, I just you, you should check this out and see that we have uh, all different uh, whatever. He never got back to me. He never even responded back to me. That's no, right? Because I saw a couple of my conservative friends today posting about cops, and uh, they were like, "Screw those pigs!" Blah blah blah. They were pretty brutal. But then that guy was like, "These fucking liberals. They what? They hate the police." But yet, as soon as their mouth gets them in trouble and they're going to get their ass kicked, the first person they call is cops. And the way you were like, I was in two branches of the military, I was a housing cop, I would never call the police, I don't trust the cops, and he never got back, so now you're probably a liberal. But then there's a lot of conservatives, and I actually got attacked by some cops who said no conservative is anti-cop or says anything negative about the cops. The liberals have destroyed the police's reputation in this country. And it's so bizarre, once again, 
to see everybody saying, no, you're the guy who dislikes the police. No, you're the guy who dislikes the police. But it's not a right-left issue. It's a criminal justice issue. And it's, it's yeah, just it, turning into this right-left thing when it's not. The cops, and whether you believe the media hype or not, or cops going after blacks, it, it, that's not true. They're going after everybody. I mean, when you talk about people getting uh, speeding tickets in small towns that are predominantly white with white police officers, white people, and they're ticketing them just simply for, for going one mile an hour over the speed limit, which most uh, judges allow a 10% on radar or VASCAR because the machine doesn't calibrate human error for the time when they push the trigger, whatever. You know, and it's all about money. Cops are out of control. Yeah, but all... the conservative guy who put this up today, James, he put it up, and it was two black cops beating down a white woman. And he said, right. this isn't just a black-white thing. But under it, right. it said this cop, under it said this cop was immediately terminated. And I think the thing that becomes a black-white thing is when you see the accountability level. When cops gun down a 12-year-old in the park, or when they choke out Eric Gardner, or when they shoot somebody in Walmart for holding an airsoft gun that they got off the shelf, there's no accountability. But then, that, like the cop who attacked a college kid well, who was depends. in Oxville got immediately fired. You see when they attack white people, the standard for the, the consequence, the penalty, is a lot stiffer than when they violate a black person's rights. And I think that's where the black-white thing comes well, I don't know. I, I think a lot of times cities are being punished. Taxpayers are being punished more whenever it, it's a white cop on black because of the lawsuits. Ultimately, maybe the cops not getting the punishment, but the taxpayers surely are because of the lawsuits. I, I just think a lot of it, too, has to deal with um, whether it's a police union, whether it's a part-time cop. Sometimes part-time cops don't get the protection that a bigger city cop gets from the union, so that's why a lot of times it, or the union cop gets off and it just happens to be that he's white. Still, a majority of police officers are white, even though the Department of Justice tries to... The Department of Justice lowered standards. They forced the cities and townships and states to lower the standards to become a cop as far as background checks, testing, and all that to get more minorities, and it actually backfired. Minorities said, we don't want to be cops. And what it did was it allowed the scum and the douchebags and the high school bullies who couldn't even make it in ROTC, they're now cops. So it, it backfired by them trying to lower the standards. You've got all these douchebags in there. And, and, and I just think it's still a majority of – and I don't think it's a black-white issue. I just think, again, a majority – you have a majority of white cops, and a lot of these incidents happen in black communities where a majority of the – uh, citizens are black And I just think it happens to num- number us that way I really don't I just think all cops are assholes And they will When you study right the numbers The accountability level For cops who violate white people's rights And black people's rights Is astronomically different Those are numbers Those are things you can't argue with And, and I, I think it goes again too where, where you have a cop patrolling in a black neighborhood you have a higher majority of blacks, whether they're doing something wrong or not, I'm not saying that, but you have more interaction between police and citizens in black neighborhoods, so that automatically skews the number. But if you have an a, a, a area that's known for a lot of drugs, I mean, I'm not saying it's all black, but I'm just saying the majority of the larger cities have drug problems, and they're usually minority neighborhoods, 
so you have more interaction. So therefore, the numbers are skewed in that. Could sense. two black so cops? Let me let me get let Fern have the last word on this because we got to get yep. James in here. Could two black cops gun down an unarmed twelve-year-old in the park and get off scot-free? In your opinion? No. Uh, oh, no, I don't think so. And this, I I think I think I find this conversation fascinating because we can we can debate you know corruption or race in in this conversation, but you know to bring it back to that common and being called a liberal, his whole point was. She hates cops, and she's going to be the first one to call the police and want them there, but she hates cops. And I said nothing about the police. I'm actually more of an advocate for the the men and women who are out there doing their job, who are trying to serve and protect, and not the people who are taking advantage of their position of power based on their personal beliefs as fucked up as they may be. I mean, my uncle was the a former chief of police for the Augusta State for the Maine State Police in Augusta. Um, you know, my cousin is still a law enforcement officer. I have a lot of respect for what they do. And I do believe that there's a lot of crazy stuff out there that happens that shouldn't happen. People do abuse their power. But this guy totally just pulled this out of his ass and called me a liberal and told me I hated cops without even knowing my position. So because I didn't support Trump and said that he was, you know, him and Hillary both, I, I threw her in there and said these are like the worst two front runners ever. He calls me a cop hater and a liberal. I just don't understand it. And that goes back to what I said a long time ago. Back when the Tea Party first was getting momentum, they used to come out and go, look at the police. This is another um, corrupt force under the Obama administration. These are the guys that are going to come and take you to the FEMA camps when Obama opens up all the FEMA camps. And then when Ferguson happened and Eric Gardner happened and um, Brown yeah, when in Ferguson and all those cases happened, then all of a sudden it became, okay, well, these um, cops are killing, a, like, mostly black people. At least that's the ones we're mm-hmm. seeing in the media. So I guess their cops are okay. And I've seen people come straight out and say it. I, I've seen people, when the shift happened, come out and say, oh, well, um, you know, you, you guys are down in the cops, but really they're looking out for white people because, look, they go into these black communities and keep these animals in check. So you guys need to get on board with the police. And within months, you saw a shift where the people who were anti-cop were coming out and saying, we're part of the blue light movement now. Anyways, Dwayne, what do you think about that? Am I being biased when I say that? Or did you see a fundamental shift between conservatives hating cops and loving cops after Ferguson and a few other cases like that? I see insanity. I, I have a very conservative friend on Facebook who for years, Obama is going to put us in FEMA camps. Obama is going to put us in FEMA camps, FEMA camps, FEMA camps. The police are Obama's lackeys were going into FEMA camps. Now, all of a sudden, this person is anti-Trump everything, loves Ted Cruz, and made the comment the other day that I hope we still have time to save the Republic after Trump gets in until he puts us all in FEMA camps. Everyone's Hitler, right? Everyone. <laughs> wow. Like, uh, what was that uh, little book I put up that said everybody I don't like is Hitler, the uh, mm-hmm. um, yeah. like toddler or the child's mentality of politics? Anyway, speaking of cops, a couple well, weeks I ago. Asked her, I thought Obama was a FEMA camp you know, guru, and, and it was just like kind of, well, no, now it's Trump. So just so you know, your point, though, Nick, this is not a left right. It changes on a daily basis on who has the smallest mustache. That's all. <laughs> Ah, nice. That's going to be a great sound. Um, I want to make that my ringtone. Okay, a couple weeks ago, 
We had um, James Myers on. James Myers, of course, got national attention when he got pulled over, I believe, for a broken taillight. He was taking his daughter to school. Cop came up, said, I hate to tell you this, sir. Actually, the cop from James's version of the story sounds like he was pretty chill about it. Said, you have a VHS tape. Freddie got fingered that you rented 14 years ago and never returned. Um, so not, I think the charge was like theft of rental property or not returning rental property. Got arrested. He has been to court since. So let's get him in here. And he can we tell need us how this, yeah, this how criminal that, element needs to be off the street. Off the street. I hope Wadsock doesn't kick us society. off for having such a criminal element on the show. James, what's <laughs> up? Hey, how you guys doing? Good, Good man. Sir. How are you? All right, hanging in there, feeling much better now that I got the monkey off my back, you know. Yeah, yes. tell us about that. What happened um, when you? For one, why don't you tell us the outcome? Because we've been holding back. No spoilers here on the ignorance equation. Tell sure. us what happened, and then we'll kind of parcel this out. Yeah, sure, of course. Uh, you know, after the incident, all the media madness was Tom Green and, and the rumors that he may come to court and he may pay fines if there were any fines. Uh, you know, they they did not come to fruition, unfortunately, during my court date this past Wednesday. Um, you know, we were under the assumption that it was going to get dismissed or going to be dropped at some point between the arrest and, you know, court date, which was the 27th. But it wasn't, and they actually let it come to court, and I had to show up and take another day off of work. And uh, <laughs> we got down there, and, um, and you know, my lawyer comes in. Great guy, man. He, he did everything he could for me. Uh, and, you know, I got the utmost respect for him. Um, but we, we show up, and uh, he wanted to just talk to the DA directly and just try to skip the whole process of even letting the judge see the, the paperwork. And uh, so he uh, got the assistant DA to uh, – talk to him eventually and uh she got up to go call to see if the business was still in operation the uh, video store could not reach anyone by that number and uh came back and told the da and they dismissed the case so let me ask you this and then i'll let i know Dwayne's probably shaking he wants to chime in so bad but let me start off with <laughs> yeah. this when something like this happens, you're innocent till proven guilty, yet you have to take off work and take the hit. You have to hire a lawyer to defend yourself. You have to pay whatever court costs are associated with. Sometimes when you're not guilty, there aren't any, but in some states there are. Shouldn't there be some kind of fund or safety net to pay you back for your time and your money and just the stressors of this? Or would that be politically correct? Like, hey, am I supposed to get money back if I get cancer? Uh, this is life, pal. Suck it up and wear a helmet. <laughs> or should there be some kind of check when something like this happens? Like, this was ridiculous. Right. We all knew it was going to get thrown out. So where's exactly. your compensation? What do you believe well, you about know, that? Man, to be honest with you, man, uh, I haven't put too much thought into that uh, – I was just really focused on trying to get this case dismissed. Um, and, and let me just, you know, for the record state that my lawyer, uh, someone put me in touch with him and I contacted him and he actually offered to do all of this pro bono. Uh, his name's Adam Seifert out of Seifert Flato in Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, he's, like I said, he's a great guy, man. We, we actually are friends now because of this. And um, we, we've been through a lot with this, a lot of sleepless nights and a lot of anxiety and stress. But yeah, I mean, Going back to that, man, you know, I, I don't know. It's like it, it costs both of us. It costs me and it costs the state, you know, and yep. Yep. I, the it was so ridiculous. 
Yeah, it costs right. it costs tax dollars. Exactly what it did. It costs tax dollars that I pay and that you pay. So I kind of lost out on both ends because I still pay taxes. But you know, it's just it's tough, man. It's a tough situation all around. Uh, I'm just kind of reeling right now in the uh, joy of the of the win in court. I mean, I guess you can call it a win. Now, the next step is to get expunged, which we filed the paperwork. You believe, I believe you get one expungement uh, because, obviously, once you get arrested for something, it's always on your record. Whether you're guilty, not guilty, or dismissed, um, it pulls up. But you're going to have a dismissed case expunged in North Carolina. So we have filed that paperwork to get that off my record. That way it doesn't hopefully hinder any future job opportunities or credit opportunities, et cetera. Has, right. this, has, this, has this made you uh, embrace the judicial system more or have you not have more disdain for the judicial system? Can, Being that it got this and they common sense for Bill, or the fact that they even went through this, does it make you say, screw the judicial system, I want to well, be an anarchist the rest of my life? <laughs> no, no. Can I can I just can I just say I I lost faith in the judicial system a long time ago until until I was able to fight and win split custody of my daughter. And see, that's what I said before. Uh, it, where it gets so bizarre is I was in and out of court six years ago, uh, and and I won split custody of my little girl. And you know they do a thorough background check. They make sure you don't have any kind of warrants. They, they go through all that. Nothing came up. So uh, you know it it just it was so bizarre, but. But that when I did win the split custody, it was in front of a female judge who just was not giving me any opportunity at all to win this thing. But I still ended up at the end of the day proving her, proving to her that I could do this. And and it's been six years later with no issues, wow. no problems. So good so for I, you, I, I was good for you. yeah. Well, yeah, my faith was restored then. My faith was restored then, then during that time. I really felt good about that, and I realized that there, you know you can win. You, the truth can prevail in a, in a court of law. I, I've realized that through this, but and then now I have this Tom Green thing on my back, and it's just like a whole other angle of the judicial system that I'm scratching my head, going, "Wait, what?" You know. So, well, let me say this: you're you're losing faith. I don't know. I don't know. You're lucky you live in in, in the Carolinas. Is it North Carolina? I, I, I apologize. Is it North yes, Carolina? Yes, North Carolina. Yes, I'm right outside yeah. right outside of Charlotte, home of the Panthers and home of the Hornets. If you were in a commonwealth, say like Pennsylvania, the state or Virginia. can still or Virginia, the state can still pursue charges against you. Even if that video store denied it, uh, refused it, was out of business, they couldn't contact them. The state, if they wanted to, could still have pressed charges and gone after the maximum. So you're lucky. You well, North Carolina could have too. Yeah, North oh, Carolina okay. could have too. Yeah, just the DA took compassion. So. Um, so if I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong because I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a law expert. But if I'm not mistaken, I do believe North Carolina could have done that. We, they would have probably – they could have probably fought us tooth and nail to the end. So – Well, let me put, put it back over to Dwayne and the rest of the panel. Dwayne, <clears throat> what I said earlier, um, should you should um, James get some kind of tax rebate when he files his taxes because of what he just went through? Or does this oh, sum up to look? This is life. In life, everybody has to go through stupid bullshit. And this was James's time to go through some stupid bullshit. Or should there be some just, kind of check here to, or control like if you, to protect them? If you falsely accuse somebody or you bring a frivolous lawsuit, now they're starting to pass laws where you can be responsible for all attorney fees, re- compensating the victim, the state. I think the state itself 
should be held just as liable for something stupid like this. It would be like me suing you, Nick, because you used the name Badger in a derogatory term com- comparing me to Grover Cleveland's butt hair or whatever it may be. You know, I could <laughs> lawsuit like that. You know, our personal conversation. a compliment, not an insult. Well, I some viewers may, or listeners may not take it that way like I do, so I'm just saying. So, I mean, it's just, I think, yeah, if the state does something stupid like this, if a private citizen can be, uh, you know, punished for bringing a frivolous lawsuit, so should the state, and the person, the victim, should should get some compensation. So let's go firm. Go with, give it a You firm. know, I, I, I want to I make sure I'm getting this correctly. So you went into court, and what they did was called, and it was not in business, so they dropped the charges, right? Yes, he, my okay, uh, lawyer so, tried to start it before the court proceedings actually began, so he pulled a D off to the side and was able to work that out. So to me, if you bring some sort of frivolous lawsuit against somebody else and it is completely insane and you're ordered to pay restitution to the other person because you brought this bullshit lawsuit out, I don't see why there shouldn't be some sort of repercussion. Now, maybe not restitution, but to me it's a dereliction of duty of a DA who can make a phone call and say, they're not in business, we're not going to win this, let us put our energy and our resources and our money into cases that we can prosecute and, you know, real criminals, people who actually, you know, do bad things. I totally agree. In, mm-hmm. Instead totally of taking agree. this to court, I believe that there should be, maybe not restitution, I get that, but at least some sort of repercussion for this DA, because it's derelict, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah maybe and like I said, whenever the police uh, invite, told me they wanted to have a meeting with me at the, before they actually took me to jail, I was thought something like that was what was going to happen. They were going to make a phone call to their commanding officer. commanding officer was going to call the magistrate. magistrate was going to say, let me call the DA real quick and get this cleared up. Send him on yeah. his way. But that didn't happen. That didn't happen. It drug out for five weeks. You know, I don't know if the cops are following me around. I don't know if I've embarrassed them. I don't know if they're out for me. You know, I, I, yeah. it was a really, really stressful time, dude. And well, all yeah. the media stuff, it was crazy. It was crazy. So far, uh, I want to be careful that you don't have, like, a body show up in your backyard now all of a sudden. <laughs> I'm Hope not. not. I, 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 I'm not mine, right? Not saying that it's had not happened before, but you may end up with a body in your backyard and have more charges. So I, I'd move out of town. Well, well I, actually, I'm all, I actually was caught on film shaking a local officer's hand just this past weekend. I uh, uh, had a... Inter, uh, a reporter from the, one of the local news channels following me around uh, the whole afternoon after court date, and uh, we actually ran into an officer where I actually got pulled over. There was one just kind of sitting in the parking lot, and my, the, the journalist was, was telling me, go ask him, talk to him, you know, go see what he says, see if he recognizes you. And I'm like, no, hell no, there's no way, you're crazy. Uh, so apprehensive, you know, but why? Why would I do that? I was so apprehensive. Uh, but we eventually got over there, and when he realized who I was, the officer started laughing. He stuck his hand out, shook my hand. Uh, it was it was an intense moment, <laughs> but uh, it was ended up, I guess, ending on a happy note there because if he'd have been pissed or if he'd have been upset with me or if it had been something, I think he would have reacted totally different. Different, but his his initial reaction was just laughter. So that's good. That's Maybe good. you can get your own yeah, Netflix right. series, like Making of a Murderer, except for it's making a bullshit argument that this guy actually did something wrong. I mean, just <laughs> yeah. this is right. Making of a serial VHS thief. There you go. Well, when the crap. cop pulled me over, he, the cop pulled me over the day. He actually told me, you know, well, we weren't going to charge you for a brake light. We were just fishing for something else. So, you know, whatever the hell that means. That means they're looking to see once or warrants. They they do that. They they do that. I mean, that's like now if you call the police, they take your if you have somebody breaks into your house and you see a vandalism, they take your driver's license first to see if you have a once or warrants 
before whatever yeah. crime you actually called in. I mean, it's nothing these police officers have is wrong. From what you're saying, they did it great. But that's the thing. That's all revenue. Let's see who we can pick up and get our money. That's what it seems to be anymore. Yeah, totally. I mean, this is this is um, this is one of those things where you you look at it and you see people walking around and you see people who really either should be in jail for and they got off or people who haven't you know you know people who are doing things that they shouldn't be doing and haven't been picked up, and then you got you, who's just. Dude, I can't even imagine. I mean, I, I, one well, of my first, first jobs was in a video store, and you know, I wasn't like team. a Nazi about it. You know, I totally get, I totally get. Hey, it's late, whatever. Or people, you know, you don't get arrested for that stuff. That's just no, you know, no, it's no different and to Seth me than Myers, not a library comedian. book. Yeah, well, Seth Meyers, well, a comedian, did a bit on it, and he said that there's one more person been arrested for a Tom Green movie than there are a Wall Street, a Wall Street businessman responsible for the financial crisis. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, the sad part is now Fern, Dean, Nick, and I all have to get this show expunged from our record because we're with a, a, a maybe known felon. I mean, uh, uh, you know, you've been, you know, you've been arrested for this. We don't want to be known with, uh, with you. We don't want to be known uh, associates. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> so, I'm just so glad it worked out good for you. So Got it, so let me ask you this. No, go ahead, go ahead. Did you get a congratulations call from Tom Green after all this? I, I, yeah. yeah, I did talk to Tom Green afterwards, uh just through uh through Twitter and he was super stoked about it and he ended up uh he retweeted the story of the dismissal and then shortly thereafter Dead Mouse, one of my favorite artists, uh retweeted nice. it too. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, and I actually saw a um, a little segment about you on Lee Camp as well, one of our favorite people. So it's nice. definitely getting a lot of attention. Very cool, very cool. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad there's some awareness brought to the the, the absolute bizarre situation. Nice. Thank All you. right. Um, I want to say congratulations, James. As always, thanks for calling Thank in. You We're guys. glad it worked out. It sucked you had to go through it, but it made interesting yeah. radio. So congratulations it, it did, to you. It did. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you so much. I hope you guys have a great weekend. Uh, just keep in touch with me. Yeah, definitely. We'll have you back on Perfect. as soon as we get up on Tin Can, and we'll have you on the panel, and we'll mix it up on some other political issues. Sounds yeah. good. I'm down. Thank you. All right, James. Thank you. All righty. Um, we've got Jay on the line. There was something I want to hit here real quick. I want to hit this thing that happened with McDonald's, and then we'll get Jay in here. So what is going on is McDonald's was the main focus of this, but Starbucks was mentioned and a bunch of other public restaurants was mentioned. There has been an issue with people watching porn on their phones. I'm not sure if they have their headset in so you can't hear it, but the concern is that children around them can hear it. They can see it, and I even remember making an argument with you once on a show, and I said, well, look, we have freedom, but you're not going to go into like a doctor's office with a bunch of kids there and sit there and watch porn on your phone. And you agreed, and I thought it was so ridiculous, like who would do that, that I used as an example, but I guess that's what it's come to now is that people feel entitled to watch porn on their phone. Now, McDonald's was asked by a group called Enough is Enough to please put a block on their Wi-Fi to porn sites along with a bunch of other businesses. McDonald's said no. What is strange to me is the fact that in every other country, McDonald's does this automatically. And McDonald's even fired back and said, you can't call us out, particularly by name, 
we're going to sue you if you keep calling us out by name. Let me start off with Fern here. Fern, why is McDonald's in this country taking such a hard line against blocking porn sites? I don't understand their position. You know, I don't either. I mean, you have to look at it as what are the businesses' rights versus the people's rights. And, you know, a corporation can choose to do what they want to do as far as that's concerned, in my opinion. You know, if they decide, hey, we're going to leave our Wi-Fi open, we're not going to filter, then they're going to leave their Wi-Fi open, they're not going to filter. I mean, you can, you do have the choice to go to Burger King or Wendy's or, yes, if you guys are listening from Burger King and Wendy's, we're plugging you and McDonald's. No, um, but you can you can choose to do that. I just I don't really see what the big deal is. You were talking about pornography, and apparently in U- was it Utah? The, the this is like the biggest state for porn downloads. Like there's more porn being downloaded in this state than any other state in the country. So apparently this is a problem. I don't want my kids seeing it. I don't want my kids eating their Big Mac and looking over my shoulder and seeing some dude on his phone watching, you know, a gangbang. It's just you probably shouldn't be doing that in public anyway, but does the corporation have a right to do it? I think they do. You know, I, I just don't understand why they wouldn't – business-wise, it seems smarter to me They would that they would filter it. They, they would lose money if they didn't. So I don't understand the business decision, but – but on honestly, a why are they right taking stand? such a hard line? They're doing it in every other country, and they're saying that they're going to sue enough is enough for even bringing up their name. Why can't it, it would be a, like these said the other night? It would be one line of code to block these sites from the Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. Why are they doing it? Why are they taking such a hard line? I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just the, the constant upset in this country about right infringement and what is rights infringement and what isn't and they're just saying you know what we're tired of being told what we we can and cannot do we're going to do this and maybe it's out of spite right just like you know the obfuscation in in the senate and in the congress i mean they're probably just feeding off of that and it's really a sad thing because like like you said d said one line of code takes care of the problem probably the best business decision but because freedom then we're not gonna we're not gonna just capitulate and give in to your demands because you say. I, I think it's kind of stupid, but that's just me. Well, let me read um, some of the comments on this to tell you where America's head is at. According to liberal progressives, porn is free speech, and they provide free condoms and contraceptive in case someone develops a biological need. This is the opposite of a conservative talk radio, which terms porn hate speech because it's directed at our dear leader solely because of his skin color. I don't quite understand that. And against women as part of an ongoing war on women. Um, Here's another one. Sorry, but this is a really – there was four comments, and this is three of them I'm going to read you that disagreed. Sorry, but this is a really stupid issue. Censor porn might as well be in China or North Korea because it isn't going to stop there. For one thing, filters are not exactly up-to-date or accurate. If you don't like porn, then don't visit the sites. And then another one was like, violates the law throughout the country. Porn viewing is legal. So, Dwayne, let me ask you this. These people are saying, I have a right to watch porn at McDonald's. I have that right to watch this. And if a kid walks by, if a four-year-old walks by or a six-year-old walks by and sees a woman with six dicks in her mouth, well, fuck you. Go eat at a different restaurant. You suck. It, 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 First of all, I, I want to I want to know what McDonald's is because I wouldn't mind seeing. That. Well, I don't have to the story, but um, 
it goes to freedom of speech. The EU and Europe and European countries and other countries are very strict on freedom of speech. We have the moral right here who everything sex-wise is a taboo. Not a according to that comment, it's the um, left that says that they're well, going to censor it or whatever. Well, no, to me, you know, the moral right, you know, a breath is taboo, whatever. If, if you see a guy look over his phone, first of all, why are you looking over at what the guy's looking on his phone? What about privacy? If this guy is sitting back in the corner, just happens to walk, look through something, whatever, you can go to innocent web pages, type in an innocent web search, and you can get porn or pop-ups or whatever. Now, if a guy's sitting there jerking off in the back of the McDonald's, you go to the manager and say, hey, look, this guy's doing it, get his ass kicked out or arrested. But if somebody is on their own computer and they're relatively shielding it, and you've got a nosy, unsupervised uh, kid who's running around the McDonald's looking at everybody's laptop, walking up to them, seeing what they're eating, pointing at their food, trying to grab their French fries, which I have been at McDonald's where I've seen kids do that. If the kid sees a girl with six dicks in her mouth, then it's on the parent for not parenting and keeping the kids sitting at the table eating fucking dinner like you're supposed to. I disagree more. It is a public restaurant. Okay, so if that's the case, why should you be able to just have sex at McDonald's? Why shouldn't you be able to drink at McDonald's? I mean, why shouldn't you be able – you can't even bring in Burger King food into McDonald's. Does it have an inhibit by I've made the the, the the McWhopper or whatever. I've actually brought uh, Burger King into McDonald's and made the McWhopper there, and they said nothing. Um, There shouldn't be a law that a business should have the right to let people play porn at their tables if they want. And if if there was a law made, then that would be somehow oppressing people or or somehow encroaching on our freedom to watch porn at McDonald's. To have free Wi-Fi available, unfettered access of open Internet, I believe in that. Now, again, if the guy's sitting there jerking off watching it or if he has it openly displayed saying, hey, kids, come look at this, that's one thing. That is one thing. That's, you know, per per territory, whatever, get the guy out of there. But if the guy is keeping his phone to himself, keeping the sound on, has a headset on, whatever it may be, and he accesses it, or what if he accidentally accesses it, whatever, I'm sorry. Keep your kids closer to you. Keep your what kids if you at can your hear? table. Or what if I at the table next to you, you can hear, oh, oh, stick it in my ass. Oh, come on my face, baby. What if you can hear, your kids can hear that sitting next to them? Is it on you? Is the onus on you as a parent to take those kids and move them to a different part of the restaurant? Or is the onus on the guy with the free Wi-Fi not to be blasting sex noises, even if he's not jerking off or whatever, just sitting there watching it, eating his Whopper or Big Mac, no pun intended. Um, it, it's, or in my it, case, Chicken McNugget. Or in my case, Chicken McNugget. Chicken McNugget for you. Is the uh, is the social responsibility on the man not to blast porn? Not even blast, not to have porn at an audible level where children can hear it? Or is the social responsibility on the parent to go, kids, I can't take you to McDonald's. There might be people on, in that restaurant watching porn, and I don't want If the guy's praying it loud enough that it's being heard, I'm like, hey, dude, can you turn that shit down? You know, can you turn it down? I, I, I appreciate your right to be able to access this, but can you put it in your head? No, got freedom of speech, and I can listen to this if I want at a normal level. This is a really tricky situation. It really is, but at a normal level, if you're in a public place, to me, normal level, first of all, I wouldn't be watching, me personally. 
But if you're going to watch it, to me, a normal level of public place would be mute or headphones. That would be normal level for somebody who has to watch porn while they're at McDonald's. I, I'm sorry. Okay. You have to watch porn at McDonald's. Why does anybody <laughs> have to watch porn at McDonald's? Do you have porn at home? Now you have to watch it when you're out in public? I don't understand. Fern. Why do people Dwayne, let's let's swap let's swap porn for an endless loop of Hillary Clinton speeches. Then would you have a problem with it? No, I, it's their right. I mean, I, I, I get what you're trying to get at. I get what you're trying to get at. But first of all, porn, Hillary Clinton, and those uh, Sesame Seed buns—they're all intermixed. You know, all yeah. Get that visual out of your mouth, out of your yeah. out of your mouth, and out of your head. Yeah, same thing to me. I mean, they're all, they're all the same, but. But the, the thing is, again, if the guy is just accessing it and not sharing it, and it's not being played at an audible level, and the kid, he's not showing it to the kids, we'll take the kid out of the equation, he's walking over to the table and, and looking into the guy's shit, like I, I, I've encountered many times. If he's just sitting back there and watching it, I don't have a problem with it. I what about at your kids' watch. play? What if you're at school and you're watching your kids play and you notice some guy in front of you is watching porn while your kids are on stage doing whatever? Or what about a kid's baseball game? Or what about if you're out at Chuck E. Cheese? Do they still have the right to do that at Chuck E. Cheese? I don't think Chuck E. Cheese should sell beer, but if, if it's a free, unfettered Wi-Fi, free, freedom of speech, freedom of access, I don't care. Is it morally and is it, uh, you know, Socially wrong, yes. Should I have a law or should I be sued because I have unfettered access to Wi-Fi or unfiltered Wi-Fi at my business? No. But well, we always talk the about spoiled brats and self-entitlement. Isn't this self-entitlement? Isn't this saying, hey, I just saw an attractive woman walk by, and I feel like I'm a little bit sexually aroused, and I can't wait 20 minutes till I get home. I have the fucking right to watch this porn now. I want to sit in this restaurant. Wow, watch my porn and eat my hamburger now. And nobody can tell me I have to wait till I get home in 20 minutes. Now, now, now. D, isn't this a little bit of that? Isn't this also self-entitlement to say I have the right to do this now, no matter how despicable it is, and no matter how many I think people so. feel uncomfortable? I absolutely think so. And I, I, I've never actually read the terms and services or terms of service, even though I click it all the time when I'm at a Walmart or at uh, pretty much any place else and I use their Internet. But they do have a term, terms and services or terms of whatever. They have the, the that you have to click on for a lot of places in order to say, yes, I'm going to use this. I'm not going to break the law, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but, no, we, we've had both of those things happen at our McDonald's. That's why we don't have a play place anymore. Not because they didn't have room for it or because they need more room for the drive-thru, but because guys were watching, uh, only men, were watching porn in the play place doing their thing. And it's just not appropriate. I mean, it's nobody's right to get free Wi-Fi anywhere. Anywhere. Most of the world does not have internet. Nobody's right to have free Wi-Fi. So why is it their right on what they get to watch on said free Wi-Fi? Because the courts have sided with even against even against libraries, saying that libraries have to allow unfiltered access to all sites that are available upon the internet. They cannot put blockers. Up schools can tell schools can have blocks. What's the difference between schools and libraries? Mm-hmm. Because you have to be eighteen. Schools and McDonald's. 
you have to say you're 18, but you don't actually have to. I mean, well, just like smoking. Ooh, you have you to be 18 to buy the pack of cigarettes, but nobody gets arrested for having All a right. cigarette in their Well, hands. we're not going to resolve this yeah. today. Fern, get the last word on this, um, and then we got to get Jay in here. Do we? It is, who is the onus on? Is the onus on the man watching porn to not have it at an audible level or not have it in view? And let me just preface this by saying this. When I was little in Waldorf, Maryland, there used to be a driver, a drive-in movie theater, if any of you kids still know what that is, a drive-in movie theater across the street from a McDonald's. And at one time I was in there eating, and across the street, Stripes, that Bill Murray movie, Stripes was playing. And as I'm eating, I see a giant pair of naked breasts pop up on a screen across the street. And nobody had thought anything about that. Nobody had complained to the drive-in movie place. You need to build a wall to block this out. You could drive down. They didn't play porn movies, but they played rated R movies. And sometimes when you drove down 301, you could see a woman's breasts on a giant, you know, jumbo screen looming over the highway. That was never an issue. So is this along the same lines as that, or is this something totally different? Like the onus is on the business to create as as uh, profitable a uh, business model as possible, and a lot of people look at corporations and they they tend to put emotion into it. And corporations are not emotion; they are not people. They are machines. They are organizations, and their sole function is to make money. And they can't make money if people are boycotting them or not going because they're creating an environment where pornography can be easily seen by their children. Now, whether that is a right of the people to watch porn or not, or whether it's the right of the business to say yes or not, it is a poor business model to allow that in an environment where children frequent that establishment because that's not going to make you money, and that's what their sole purpose is. So having said that, do the businesses have the right to keep an open Wi-Fi? Sure, but they also have the right to lose business from it, and that to me is ludicrous. Now, what happens when McDonald's does lose business? Let's say they start, and I'll, I'll make this the last question. What happens when McDonald's starts losing business and they say, sorry, we had to put locks on the um, Wi-Fi because too many people were complaining and we were losing too much business because of this? The next thing that comes out is, you fucking liberals. You liberals complained with your political correct bullshit. This is why we need Trump because Trump will allow porn everywhere. I mean, that's going to be the argument, right, that the liberals had shut this down because of political correctness, when really I just don't want my 10-year-old daughter seeing a girl with a bunch of dicks crammed in every orifice when I take her to get a Happy Meal. It has nothing to do with political correctness. And they can follow the liberals if they want to, but you can't be a capitalist and say that the business has the right to choose not to close the Wi-Fi or filter the Wi-Fi and then scream when they do choose to filter the Wi-Fi because it is not good for business and then blame the liberals. I mean, it's still their choice either way because capitalism, baby, you can do it. But you can't – you either blame the corporation or you blame the corporation or you blame the corporation. For some women, though, six dicks in their mouth could be considered a happy meal. But up, bump. Nice. All right, let's move on. I'm going to have my say. I haven't done one of these in a little bit, but I thought it was important. Welcome to Political Discourse 101, kids. Today on the show, we will be talking about the primary process, because up until a few months ago, most Americans were about as interested in in how primaries worked as they are in hearing the federal tax code read to them by Wilford Brimley. Badger, that one was for you. 
Like with most things in this country, the uninformed masses are outraged at this new information that has been around for years that they were just too lazy to research for themselves, and of course now they have completely wrong. So whether it's the new epidemic of gay child molesters dressed like Lady Gaga and using the little girls' room at Toys R Us so they can fondle your children, or the outrage over the idea a president like Ben Franklin or Alexander Hamilton can be removed from our money, oh, the sweet, sweet sarcasm squiggles, Americans are pissed that for the first time ever, they have decided to vote in a primary, and now they find out their vote really doesn't count much at all in the primary process, just like it's always been since the history of Ollie's. But should it count? Let's dig deeper. First off, political parties are private entities, not government organizations, and they are under no way are they under any constitutional obligation or bound to even have a primary to pick their party's nominee. Hell, they could pick their party's nominee by picking a name out of a stovepipe hat or making anyone who wants to run on their ticket jello wrestle a drunk and lubed up Randy Quaid for the nomination, and it wouldn't be an attack on your liberty because it's their party – so no matter how fucked up the rules, it's their rules to fuck up. Now, if the fact that your vote not counting in a Republican or Democrat primary makes you angry and scream oppression, let me ask you this question. Are you equally as pissed off that the transhumanist party and a prohibition party picks their nominees without even having a primary? I mean, you had virtually zero input when the United Par Pirate Party elected their nominee for president, Joseph Klein. R, doesn't that just boil ye blood that these scallywags could pick their own nominee without you? Also to consider is the broader issue of not also of not how they pick their nominee, but why a Donald Trump or a Rand Paul is even allowed to run on a party ticket they have so little in common with politically. And for that matter, why is Ben Carson allowed to run at all when he has so little in common with the human race sanity-wise? But that's a question for another day and for a panel of mental health experts to, to decide, excuse me, not the American voter. But back to my point about party nominees. Why is a 30-year independent like Bernie Sanders, a man whose whole platform is built around fighting corruption, corporate corruption, in government, even allowed to run alongside the very Democrats those same corrupt corporations own? Did someone lose a bet like in Trading Places? Is America being punked by Gordon Gekko? Or is it the fact that we have a, two, a horrible two-party system and voters are doomed election after election to pick either asshole number one or asshole number two? It's like the Pepsi cha challenge, but with old out-of-touch white guys. And until we the people demand more choices than Comcast or Charter, Fox News or MSNBC, Tyson Food or Nestle, we will always be the victim of too little choices in a country with so many different types of people, preferences, and taste. And that is my say. Let me get everybody back in here. And today we've got Jason from Narcoleptic Youth, one of my favorite bands. And he's got a new band called Modern Age Decline, a side project. Jay, what's up? Nothing much. How you doing, Nick? Good, man. I guess you're taking in a lot of information this episode. Um, before we get started, how do you fall on the McDonald's porn thing? Do we have a constitutional right <laughs> well, to watch porn at McDonald's? Uh, porn at McDonald's. Well, I don't need their Wi-Fi to watch porn at McDonald's, so I don't know. I guess I don't care. But should we? Should there be any kind of control that says 
people are not allowed to watch porn within X amount of feet of children? Or is our freedom to watch porn in front of children? And I think that person watching porn is responsible for themselves. And, you know, I think this goes into the political correctness of nobody wanting to upset anybody. Like, I don't know. I know plenty of people who, if you are watching porn in front of their children, they're probably just punching the face. So is that how we should resolve it? It, We should just be a society where when somebody does something despicable, we just punch them in the mouth? Because then you end up in court and you end up with all these other... Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. And and a long time ago, when somebody did something outrageous like that and wretched, there was consequences. There's no consequences for that guy. Now the consequences are for McDonald's. I'm saying people should be responsible for themselves. Thank you, Jay. All right, fair enough, fair enough. Um, before we jump into the political mix of this conversation, why don't you tell us about Modern Age Decline? We played Requiem at the um, beginning of the show. I'm really digging it as I dig all things related with you guys. How did this come about, and how you know how's juggling narcoleptic youth, Modern Age Decline? How do you even juggle two bands without there being conflicts as far as shows and material and stuff? Well, right now it's not much of an issue. One's kind of a little bit mild, and one's, you know, still mild. So it's not that it's not that bad. Um, the singer of Modern Age Decline is my childhood best friend since seventh grade, so it's it's pretty easy going. You know, it's not it doesn't demand a crazy amount of time. All right, cool enough. Let's um, get on to the political aspect of this. Fern, tell us about primaries. I think people are really confused. I, I had said in the monologue that these um, political parties are actually private organizations, and they're not mm-hmm. constitutionally bound to have a primary. They, Like I said, they could pick their nominee out of a stovepipe hat or have them wrestle a drunken Randy Quaid to get the nominee. There is no constitutional imperative that they have to let we the people chime in on who they want to run for president. So why don't you tell us what they do have to do, the difference between open primaries, unbound delegates, and so forth. Clear this up for us. All right. So I guess the first thing is to go into the delegates, because these are the people who actually are the the vote the vote casters at the convention. And you have a few different types of delegates, and it depends on whether you're on the GOP side or on you know the Democratic side, but you, know, you have bound and unbound delegates. Now, bound delegates are delegates who come from their state as representatives and are specifically bound to vote for a certain candidate on either the first or second or third ballot, depending on what the state laws are. Um, 95% of the delegates going into the, into the convention are bound delegates. So you pretty much have a good barometer going into the convention of how many delegate votes a candidate is going to get. Now, you do also have unbound or unpledged delegates, and those are people who do not need to represent the constituency. They do not have to pledge their allegiance to a specific candidate going into the election, I mean, going into the convention. So they are kind of free to vote however they want. Even if their constituency says, hey, we want Donald Trump, they can go in and cast a vote for Ted Cruz. Uh, the interesting thing about the conventions is you have um, 95% that are bound, but after that first ballot is cast, about 80% of those delegates then become unbound delegates. So depending on how far the convention goes, you can have somebody who's, who's bound to vote for Trump or Cruz. Once that first ballot's casted, if nobody hits that 1237, then they can, they're free to just vote for whoever they want. Now, the delegates are selected in 
they're, they're actually allotted to each state based on population. The Democrats have superdelegates, and those guys are kind of made up of the Democratic Party figureheads, um, uh, you know, mayors. People. Just to interject real quick right here, and when you hear the DNC come out and talk about their superdelegates, because they get quite an amount of criticism for that as well, they say yeah. we have superdelegates to prevent things like the rise of Donald Trump from happening exactly. So just to kind of yes. quantify. Put that in a frame of reference for the listener. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, the Republican Party does interesting things with that, too, but they do it through their rule party at the convention, and I can get into that at a later time. But the superdelegates are really specific to the Democratic Party, and they are heads of the Democratic Party, and they are just like unbound, we can vote for whoever we want delegates that, that really have been tipping Hillary way over the edge. I mean, she's like, she's got almost all of them. Uh, you have bonus delegates. Uh, bonus delegates are allotted to each state based on how they, that state performs in a general election. So that's why you'll have California with 170-plus delegates and Rhode Island with 16 or whatever they have. Um, the interesting thing is you have primaries and caucuses. Now, these delegates are selected differently in each state. If you're, doing a, if you're a primary state, you have a statewide vote. And everybody has a vote that they cast, and they vote for their delegates. It's almost like a general election-type situation. But a caucus is different. It's almost like uh, an old-school town hall meeting. Everybody gets together in a specific place at a specific time and goes to their corners for who they support and raise their hands, and they decide you know, who wins based on that. And they select their delegates at that time. They don't do it through a statewide voting system. So each district will select its delegates at its caucus. Um, some states do not even hold a vote. Like, so I think it's South Dakota. And this is interesting. They take the, the, the party as a whole in that state. They all coalesce. They get together and say, okay, who do you want to vote for? Who do you want to vote for? Okay, we're going to send you, and you're going to go, and you're going to vote for this guy. So these, these primaries and caucuses that, that we're doing are really arbitrary. It's called a preference vote. And it's because it doesn't really count. I mean, they can pretty much do whatever they want. It's like a focus um, group. They just want to gauge who they think the American people will pick that will have the best chance of beating the person in the other party. They're not letting them pick. They're just taking an opinion survey, basically. Mm -hmm. right exactly. Now, some states bind these delegates some states release them after the first vote. It really depends state to state, but most often they're bound until the first vote. Um, now, you have open primaries and closed primaries and modified primaries, and I know these terms have all been thrown around. But basically, in an open primary, no matter your political affiliation, you can vote for whichever candidate you wish. If you're a registered Democrat and you want to vote for Trump or whatever, you can do that. In a closed primary, you have to vote your party, how you're registered. So Republicans can only vote for Republicans, Democrats can only vote for Democrats, and independents can't vote for anybody. Yeah, they're Which left leads out. You, yeah, they're totally left out. They, they can't vote in a primary at all. Exactly, exactly. But some states do what's called a modified open or modified closed primary, and that basically involves the – that gives the independents an opportunity to come out and vote. The, the one really twisted thing that I learned while researching this was in a modified primary, 
your independents who go out in, to vote in some states, if they vote Republican or if they vote Democrat, doesn't really matter, their political affiliation is automatically changed if they choose to vote Republican yes. or Democrat, even though they're registered as an independent, which I think is totally messed up. And then up. the onus is to, for them to go back and unchange it before the general election, which is bullshit. Correct. Correct. So then this brings us to our conventions. And a contested convention is basically when you walk into a convention and there's no clear winner. You don't have somebody who's got 1,500, 1,600 delegates, and you, you pretty much it's a foregone conclusion. You have either candidates that refuse to give up the ghost or candidates that do not have a majority of the vote. And this is an important term, majority versus plurality. It used to be, in, before the rule changes in 2012, that they had to have a plurality of the vote, meaning just a higher percentage than all the other guys. Then they changed it to a majority, and they actually did this to help stop the Ron Paul movement because there were a lot of people and he was gaining a lot of momentum, and they did this to pretty much protect Mitt Romney, which is it's really twisted the way that they do it. So if you don't have those 1237 you're in a contested convention. The Rules Committee gets together. They do their rules. They put forth their nominees. You take your first vote. If nobody comes out the winner with that majority of 1237, then it becomes brokered. And a brokerage is really a throwback to an older time when you used to have just party heads and party figures from each state coming together and making backdoor deals. It still kind of is brokered because after that vote, yes, those delegates become unbound. You can kind of finagle them and talk to them and try to sway them. So the term brokered still applies, but it's not the same as it used to be, you know, pre-1960, I think. Wow. Well, thank you for all that great information. You know, here in You're welcome. it's almost like 50 different states doing things 50 different ways. Fucked up the whole system. But, you know, who am I to have an opinion on that? Let me start off with this very basic question. There's two schools of thought here, and I'm going to go to Dwayne first. Dwayne, are you still with us? Uh, I just want to say, you know, I want to go to McDonald's now, Stream Court, hearing Fern talk about being found, caucuses, and back doors. I, I, I'm <laughs> heading to McDonald's right now. I got me a okay. piece coming. <laughs> I'm hearing a wind blow or something in the yeah, background. Yeah, so do I. I hear the wind, too. Okay, let, let's do this. Let me start with this. There's two schools of thought. I'll go to Dwayne, and then I want to hit Jay up on this. So you've, you've got the Republican Party, and let's assume that statistics are correct. I know, Dwayne, you're skeptical of any numbers or facts, but let's assume the statistics are correct, and anywhere from 60 to 63% of registered Republicans do not want Donald Trump as their nominee. 40% do. And then you've got Donald Trump being put over the top by independents and Democrats. Some Democrats, by the way, who are voting in open caucuses and open primaries for Donald Trump just because they want to see Donald Trump run against Hillary because they believe that Hillary will destroy Donald Trump. So they're actually going into that party and voting as an enemy move. They're going in conversely and saying, you've heard people say this coming out of polls, I voted for Donald Trump. Because I think Donald Trump will be annihilated by Hillary. Or I think right. it would be awesome to watch this unfold. So the question right. is, does the Republican Party say, look, we are Americans first. We're going to be 
loyal to the American voter, and even if 60% of our party, registered Republicans, don't want Donald Trump, we're going to ignore the 60% of our party, and we're going to listen to the 40% of the Republicans and the other 10 or 12% made up of independents, first-time voters, even Democrats who are coming in here to hurt us. We're going to listen to them first, or does the Republican Party have more of an obligation to say, we're going to listen to the 60% of our party. All the polls show that John Kasich is, out of the three that are left, the only one who has any chance in a general election of beating Hillary Clinton. We don't want to lose the Senate. There's a chance we might even lose the House if we run Donald that people are so disgusted by this. Are they supposed to be loyal to the registered Republicans and make the move that's going to best keep Republicans in power to put forth Republican agendas and policies? Or are they supposed to be loyal to every American, even if they're trying to and run Donald Trump, even if they think in their mind we're going to lose not just the presidency, probably the Senate, but maybe even the House? Where should the, where should the RNC as an organization fall? Well, here's okay. Here's why I you say about me. More voters now have voted in any other Republican election. Now, we're talking Republicans voted. Registered Republicans have voted now for Trump than any other candidate, even Reagan in 1984 and Reagan in 1980. That being said, what the Republican Party, the established Republican Party, is putting out there, I find hard to believe. I truly believe in my heart. That a majority of Republicans do support Trump. Then we can't that have this conversation. Said, we can't have this well, wait, debate if that's what you well, believe. Wait, no, no, that, that being should... said, that being said, to your point about, I do not feel, in, as uh, as a registered independent, because um, I did not register uh, libertarian yet. I, I'm still registered as independent, or and, and being a, or a registered Democrat or a dem- registered Republican, I should only be allowed to vote. For a primary for the candidate of my party. I should not be, if I am a registered Democrat, I should not be able to vote for the Republican primary. As a Republican, I should not be able to vote for the, for the Democrat. I should only be able to vote. It should only be what the Republicans of that party want for that presidential nominee. So I think that it's bullshit when you allow Democrats to vote in skewed numbers. I do not agree with that. I think that's bullshit. But that being said, I still think there's more Republican support than what the establishment is actually putting out there because they're so terrified of Trump. Well, what about Virginia? I mean, in Virginia, I don't have to register. I'm not registered as a Republican or a Democrat or an Independent, and I'm free to go and vote for whomever I choose. So do I? even though I I have more conservative leanings, I shouldn't be able to go vote for a Democrat. I shouldn't vote for Bernie if I want to. If you are not – if you are not – Registered or let's or I think an independent here the base in my if you're not registered as anything or if you're registered as independent or a third party you should be able to vote in the other two elections depending on which way you go if you're a libertarian you want to vote for Trump or you're a libertarian you want to vote for Sanders whatever you should be a lot but if you are tied to a party with an R or a D since they are the controlling parties which is bullshit. And those are the two primary parties we have, the only parties we seriously, the people we even take seriously. You should be bound to vote to what is in front or after your name. If it's an R or a D, you should be bound. But the way, what do I have there. to do to get you to answer the actual question? Should the Republican Party. No, you did. You said, no, I don't believe that exists, so it's not a problem. Should the Republican Party vote 
for what the American people want in their party, regardless of who they are, or should they vote for the person they think it has the best chance of beating Hillary? Should they, they should be honest and they should be honest and vote for what the actual people want. And from what I'm seeing, and this is why it's hard to answer your question. From what I am seeing, Trump has the support of the majority of the Republican Party. Now, let's say these numbers are true. Let's okay. Let's just take. Let's go into fairy tale land and say. And I'm not saying you're not. Trump only has forty percent among Republicans. Well, I'm not saying your numbers. I'm saying what the establishment is putting out. Fairy tale land. Let's say that only has forty percent. Then, then the, yes, they should go by what the party themselves are saying. But again, I find this so hard to believe because of the number of voters, the number of Democrats who in states who have changed to Republican simply to vote for Trump. And I don't believe that a lot of them think Hillary is going to win. They're showing now that Trump will beat Hillary in a landslide nationwide. And that's a pretty big risk to change your affiliation simply to say, oh, I think Well, then those people interviewed were either crazy actors or they were lying. Let me go over to Jay. Jay, I don't know what you're registered as, and I don't know where you fall on this, but does the Republican Party, should they, because they're a private, once again, organization, they're not a government entity, should they be loyal to the 60% of registered Republicans and run the person they think can best beat Hillary, which in every poll I've seen is John Kasich, Cruz and Trump get annihilated, or should they listen to every American that puts Trump over to 50% and run Trump? Well, like I said, I have a hard time believing as well as he does that that's the case. I think that the Republican Party is more concerned about running someone who's going to retain their political control. Um, I don't think it has anything to do with who the American people want or who they think can be. I think that they're willing to lose, not to lose their political control. That's my opinion. Thank you, Jay, again. I, I don't see it that way. I mean, I see it as these as the Republican the, the establishment RNC is terrified that Trump is going to cost them the election, that Trump's going to cost them the Senate, that Trump might cost them the House and a handful of governors. I think I think that they're afraid that Trump is going to not do what a political career politician would do, and they should be afraid of that. All right. Um, oh, so, I could not agree more. I, I, you know what, the, Dick, you're gone. Jay, welcome aboard. You're a ringleader. Thank you. <laughs> Have a good day. <laughs> Fern, are you agreeing with yeah. these guys? Is, is Donald Trump, can he destroy Hillary Clinton? Can he bring America happiness and utopia? And, and, uh, <laughs> I didn't and they, say any of that. I know, but are they just... <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did, know. I did. <laughs> Do they just not want to lose their power grip on the RNC? Or is this the case where they're terrified Trump with all his control, with all his hyperbole, with all of his talk that is seen as racist, misogynistic, um, all across the board? I mean, he just doesn't have the numbers among women and minorities. Are they looking at this? Because I know you probably feel like I do. They have to be loyal to their party, right? They have to run the person who can best take down Hillary, which if you believe polls, which a lot of people don't believe polls, they don't believe their eyes, whatever. It says John Kasich's the man for that job. He's the only guy who can do that, right? 
I mean, yeah, the, the Republican Party is in a very pivotal position right now, and it's very, it's very tumultuous. And they have to look at the best way to unify the party, the best way to get everybody to kind of coalesce and come on board, and the best way to get the POTUS seat. And unfortunately, that's going to mean that they are going to have to run somebody other than Donald Trump. And that's, that's the, what I believe as far as the best interest of the party and the party's survival and the party's unity moving forward. They're going to have to run somebody else other than Trump. And the reason why I say this is because they already have such a bad perception from all the um, obstructionism from all the hate speech from the freedom caucus from you know from all of this they have to get some sort of solid ground or this party is going to continue to crumble and factionize even further so should they listen to the constituency absolutely i believe that's the way that it should be but the way that it, things are set now and the way the rules are now they have to look out for electability and they have to look for a candidate that is going to try to unify the party and i don't believe that donald trump is that guy um do i think it's right no i think the constituency should have a say in it but as it stands right now they don't those are the rules and that's what Donald Trump has done. He's actually brought a lot of this to the forefront, and people can see, wait a second, my vote doesn't count. It doesn't really count when it comes down to brass tacks. And that's a good thing. That's one thing I do applaud him for is bringing this out in the open. I think that's been a definite benefit to his, you know, his bid for the presidency. But I, I don't see the Republican Party as running him because of the constituency. They have to try to save this party, and they have to try to get somebody, a Republican, into the White House. And they have to do it by, unfortunately, ignoring the constituency. Well, let me shift gears here. Dwayne, you're a states' right guy. You believe that all 50 states should have 50 different laws um, and all of that. So let me ask you this question. Should the, yeah. should the states be somewhat, should we streamline the way the states do these primaries so you don't have your vote not counting in, in D.C., but counting in New York City if you're an independent. So you don't have to go caucus in Nevada, or I think it's Phoenix. You have to go caucus in Phoenix, but you can actually go pull a lever in Nevada. Should, like, should this be streamlined? And if it shouldn't, should each state be able to say, should a state be able to say, hey, look, our state's rule says we don't run anybody who's never held a public office, so Donald Trump is automatically disqualified. We won't put him on the ticket. If you believe every state should just go willy-nilly and do whatever the hell they want. Is this a thing that should be streamlined? As a state rights advocate, I believe the states have the right to do that. Do I think that the, the, these, some of the things the states do are flawed? Yes, I most certainly do. Do I think something as far as a federal election, presidential especially, should be streamlined? And, and should that actually be one thing? Did the founders make mistakes? Yes. Do I think that's one thing that the Constitution should cover is the actual election of our federal officials? Yes. I think that's something they left out. They didn't envision probably at the time 50 states. They probably might have envisioned 25, maybe you know a little bit different. Um, but they didn't envision such a, a diversity in states and people and cultures from state to state. So I think that, yeah, it, it should be streamlined. It should be brought up. And, again, it should be brought as an amendment. If it's going to be changed, it should be brought as an amendment that the states do agree upon. They have a constitutional convention. The states agree upon that, hey, 
We're going to make each state a level playing field for all parties involved, every party, and do it. have it this way where, you know, this is how the caucuses run, this is how this runs in each state. So if you're running for, if for president in New Hampshire, it's the same as if you're running in Florida, Missouri, or Tennessee. I, I, were there mistakes made when the Constitution were written? Yes. Um, could this be Because this patchwork yes. isn't working, right? This patchwork of if you're an independent, you can vote in this state. And, and if you're an independent, which 42% of the country now are independent, 42% of voters are being left out of half of the states now from even being allowed to vote. Now, on the surface, that's not corrupt because, like I said a thousand times in this show, these are private institutions. They can make whatever rules they want. Right. But I do think when you get to a point where, hey, if I'm on this side of the state line, I can vote. If I'm on this side of the state line, I can't. I do think Let that's something that needs to be addressed. Let Fern answer this for me because she just typed in our little chat box. She She's exactly spot on what she just typed. Go ahead, Fern. Thank you. Well, at the time the Constitution was written, number one, people weren't as educated. You didn't have as high a degree of education that you do now because information is so accessible and readily available and the technological advances that it's, it's really easy for Donald Trump to campaign because he can just get in front of a camera and he, he spends very little money. He just says crazy stuff and he gets airtime i mean it's it's really easy back way way back i mean these people actually had to travel to big cities set up camp campaign give their speeches go to another city there wasn't just hey i want to check out trump's speech from the other night or clinton's speech from the other night so at the time i i can understand why this wasn't written in because who would have thought this would be a possibility times have changed and we have to restructure based on how our, our civilization as a whole has evolved and how our technological advances have come. So should each state be able to do what they want to do? Yes, but I do think it needs to involve the constituency instead of just the heads of the party. Should it be amended in the Constitution? Uh, I don't know. That's, that's kind of tricky. That's going to be tricky. But it should involve the constituency. Yeah, but the right. only has to have some kind of cohesion, right, across the board. They can't just be like, we're going to be 50 different entities within our party because schism and division is what's fucked this party up to start with. Right. Uh, guys, we have we have a caller. All right, yeah, get Ooh. get the caller in. Yay. Who's the caller? Where are they calling from? And get them in here, D. Hi, we have Pianchi. Pianchi, where are you from? I'm calling from Missouri. Right on, and what did you want to share? Well, I heard you give your commentary on Donald Trump. Now, I support Trump, and I went to his rally here in St. Louis, and I enjoyed what he said. I talked to uh, people who had drove as far as the Arkansas-Missouri border and listened to their concerns, and frankly, their concerns were similar to some of the concerns I had. I observed the protests. I observed the provocateurs. And me getting a ticket, it was printed on a ticket what's allowed inside the venue that you can do. And if you went beyond that, you would get turned, you know, taken out. And I'm a black man, and I'm here today with my neck, and I wasn't lynched. But the thing is this, is that uh, if the Republican Party, and I'm independent, by the way, if the Republican Party don't listen to the constituents, then what good is it? Well, let me ask I you ask, this. What what's good the, is it? 
What's the constituents? Is it the 60% of registered Republicans who say we don't want Trump? Let's just assume that that's a correct figure. Or is it anybody who shows up the polls regardless of party and votes for Trump? Who are they supposed to be loyal to? Because they have to do – if they're a private organization, like just like you know Starbucks, they have to do what's best for their private organization. Well, if they say they don't like, they don't want Trump, then why aren't they coming out to put those in front of Trump that they apparently do want? I don't see Cruz being the person. I sure don't see Casey. And I'm not going to vote for Hillary Clinton just because she's female. I voted for Obama the first time because he was black. I didn't vote for him the second time around. So that is the question there. I think this is the last chance, the last possibility, hurrah. And if it's not taken advantage of, then Katie barred the door. Well, let me ask this question, and I'll open up to the panel then. When you have Donald Trump come out, and this is something that I've always rallied against. I don't think Rand Paul should be running in the Republican Party on their ticket. I don't think Donald Trump should. I don't think Bernie should be running on a Democratic ticket if he's got a history of being an independent when Trump comes out and he says – and Ted Cruz said the other day, he's like, I got 16 points, 16 policy issues that Trump and Hillary Clinton have in common exactly. And when Trump comes out and says, I don't care what bathroom Caitlyn Jenner uses when she comes to Trump Towers. I don't think Planned Parenthood should be, should be defunded. I think that we should not have free trade. These free trade policies are killing us. Um, you know, I think we should tax the rich, myself included. When he rattles off all of these – Democratic or left-leaning policies, yet he's still somehow running on the Republican ticket. I don't know where you fall on any of those issues, but when somebody that's conservative, does do these things matter to a conservative? A conservative hates gay people, hates the LGBT community. Why do they not care when Trump says it? Obama came out two years ago and said there's no reason a hedge fund manager should be paying less taxes than his secretary. And from the right, all my conservative friends said, he's a socialist, you're punishing the rich, they should be – if they can loophole themselves down to zero percent, that's what they should do exactly, capitalism, baby. And Trump came out and said the exact same thing two years later, and he got framed by the same people as a smart businessman. Why is Trump's liberal policy so well, well accepted among conservatives? Well, maybe because they're being balanced off by statements like Japan and Korea should pay more toward their own defense. NASA has been a disaster. I agree. And the rules of fighting, the rules of fighting should be equal. You know, I've been around a long time, and one of the detriments of getting older, you begin to see through things rather than looking at them head on. And what I see in him, I like. I never have seen this sort of opposition coming from a party for from toward a candidate in the position that Trump is in. I never have seen this before. I've seen something similar, and I've read about things similar to this, but experiencing it myself, I haven't seen it. And I'm going to go with the man. Now, what it is is that these other voters, especially whites, they need to get off their duff and get off their knees and get out and support the man that apparently has some inkling of the change that you've been talking about. What's That's he saying different say. than Bernie? Because Bernie believes in um, getting rid of these free trade policies. Bernie believes in taxing the rich. Why is Bernie so um, offensive, let's say, or so distasteful to people, and he's labeled a socialist, which is a communist, which is here comes the FEMA camps. 
when him and Trump actually have a lot of crossover. Why such a difference in the perspective of Bernie and Trump? Well, I think that Bernie has been around for a while, and Bernie knows the thing to say, just like when Hillary Clinton go to the black churches and just like uh, Joe Biden go to the black church, and one of the old famous slogans they throw out there is that they're going to put you back in slavery. Uh, Hillary has a peculiar way of changing her voice when she's standing in front of those people. So I look at Bernie as someone who's yes. been been there, and I don't trust him. I just don't trust him. Yeah, so but what you're telling me, though. Hey, Dwayne, let me say this real quick, and I'll give sure. it to you. Dwayne, he did, um, he did talk about the Panama Papers five years ago before it was on anybody's radar. He does have a history of riling against free trade. I mean, you can't say for 30 years he's just been scamming because he knew 30 years from now people would be against free trade. I mean, he has a history. He has a history to back it up. So, I mean, this isn't him pandering, is it, if he's got the political history to back it up? Right? Did we lose our caller? No, I'm still here. Well, uh, well, what I want to ask, so you're you're telling me, Pionki, is that when Hillary said that she carries a ball of hot sauce in her purse, you as a black man automatically didn't get her vote. That just surprises me. I mean, it's not that Hillary would ever pander to, to, to a race in any sense like that. That just amazes me. And I do want to thank you for, for supporting Donald. I do thank you very much for, for speaking for, for a group of people who notoriously are, are supposedly put down by Donald Trump, which I do not believe. I, I watched a show about his aircraft where all of his crew chiefs are either minority or black males. And to put your life in somebody who you supposedly despise, that just amazes me. I, I thank you for being a fellow Missourian, and I thank you for your, your input, sir. I truly do. I, I'm glad I wish there were more people out there like you. Well, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to leave. One of the big dilemmas that we're in is, is this. Americans are not the smartest apples on the tree. And that is a problem. <laughs> That's a big problem. I'll see you guys later. Thank you. Thank you. Another Trump supporter. What does that? You know, I, all this. Others tells me that everybody has seen the picture of me, and they are just flocking to this show after seeing my picture. All I'm say. You know, the problem I have with this. The problem I have with this is this, and it is. You know, if you look at Hillary and some of the divisive comments that she's made, it's talking about CP time. And I know Nick, you and I have had a conversation about that. You didn't view that as inherently racist, and I did. And, you know, of course, we both agree that politicians shouldn't be out there doing skits and, and make, kind of making a mockery of the process. But Hillary has, had, has said some very, um, very bad things. I do think she plays the woman card. I think Trump's actually right about that. I mean, I've always said, wow, there she goes playing the vag card again. Um, and I don't like the fact that she's presenting herself that way in, a, in an already very divided country. But I also think that Trump does the same thing in a different way. He divides, you know, he talks about, you know, not have, you know, bombing terrorists and, you know, the children of terrorists overseas and not wanting to, you know, wanting to just pull everybody who's here at, in this country out and not give them at least some sort of chance to try to remain functioning citizens or not even citizens, productive members of this country. And he does say divisive things. He says things against women. And neither one of these candidates conduct themselves in any type of manner that makes me want to vote for them at all. And Ted Cruz, he's out of his mind. The only person that's left is Kasich or Bernie. You know, I just well, I, I don't understand how it's okay for one side but not the other. 
Jay, let me get you on this because we haven't heard from you much. You know, Christopher Hayes, a very smart guy, said that all knowledge is trust-based. You know there's 50 states because somebody you trust, a teacher or a parent, told you that. You haven't been to 50 states. You didn't go to 50, you know, city halls and, or, or, you know, state capitals to oh, vet their Obama constitution. Said 57. Obama said there's 57, so I'm just throwing that out there. Okay, great. Um, so just like I had that talk with that guy, I said, hey, listen, Bernie's been fighting this fight for years. He's like, nope, don't believe it. Isn't there a lot of crossover between what Bernie and Trump is saying? And I'll ask you this. Maybe I'll get a more balanced opinion. Why is it that um, Bernie is seen as a fascist who's going to put us into death camps, but Trump's seen as this liberator for the people when a lot they're really on the same page on a lot of issues like free trade and raising well, taxes I, on the wealthy? I, I think you may have asked the right person because I feel like I'm an undecided person, and I like – a lot of things about both of them, and for the same reasons that you're talking about. I don't really have a, a decision yet of who I would do personally. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very calculating person. I wait, and I see what's going on. Um, however, those two people are very similar. They are have that kind of same similar drive and, and, and what motivates them to do what they do. Um, but, and like you said, why are they running as a Democrat and a Republican? Because you have to. If you're going to win, you have to be one of those. You can't be an independent. You can't be something else. It's not going to happen. So when someone like Trump runs in the Republican convention and is winning, you know, they all have to be very careful that they don't do something to, to bar everyone's faith in the party. They don't do something to, to damage that because all conservatives are not the same. All Republicans are not the same. You have a very broad and general consensus and, and how you feel a, a, a conservative doesn't like gay people. And, you know, not everyone is the same. That, that's, a, that's a generalization that can be dangerous. Um, I very think a true lot again, of con- Jay. I think a lot of conservatives would vote for Bernie Sanders before they would vote for Hillary Clinton. And that's an important thing that I don't think a lot of people are, are touching on. Well, and let me ask you this then, Jay. Why is it that you see Trump? He's coming in. I mean, is is this a matter of personalities? He's coming in. He's getting these big um, rallies. He's getting all these people. In fact, week after week, we've only had one caller who was not a Trump supporter in the last three or four months. These Trump supporters are calling in. They're saying they love Trump. They're across the economic and racial spectrum. And you have Bernie, and he's in the same situation. He's getting these rallies. Um, he's out fundraising Hillary Clinton, and Hillary Clinton's getting her fucking money from Wall Street and Pfizer. And Bernie Sanders is getting an average of $27 donations and out fundraising her in some months. Yet Bernie Sanders, for some reason, is not getting the traction, not getting the polling numbers that Hillary's getting on the left. And Trump's decimating on the right. Well, that, that has to do with the party he's affiliated with. I don't think that has to do with the people. I think that has to do with the party. The party doesn't want his own party. Does not want him to win. The party. But the Republicans don't want, want Trump. Trump. What's the difference? Yeah, but he's a rock star, dude. He's in their face. He's on TV. He's the one everyone's listening to. That's a simple matter of if this was a high school. He's a popular kid. That's it. It's not. It's not rock science. His personalities. What the, what boils down between Bernie and Trump is actually it's his, his fame. It's his fame. It's his personality. It's his, his his his. Like you said, trust is the most important thing. 
I, I think that he says what he wants to say and says what people are thinking, and a lot of people are starting to trust him because of that. I mean, he even doesn't care if it's the right thing to say. And say that Bernie's anti-guns, and when I'm like, well, he voted against the Brady Bill five times, and, you know, um, he's, he's out there actually losing Democratic support because he says we shouldn't sue gun manufacturers. He's saying, well, it's a 30-year career of him lying because he knew one day he'd run for well, president. Well, he's and losing Democratic support. He's losing Democratic support because superdelegates are picking Hillary, and no one feels he can win. So they just have a better system of weeding out people that they don't want that's anti-establishment is what you're saying. I think it, I think that that's pretty clear. All right, fair enough. Um, Fern, jump in here. Is Jay right? Is it, do the Democrats just weed out the people that aren't the establishment um, Clinton dynasty type better than Republicans, or is there something going on here that I'm missing? Uh, yeah, I think I think absolutely that is correct. Um, the one thing I do want to note about Bernie, though, is he did start in you know like single to barely double digit polling numbers, and now when you look at where he stands against Clinton as far as the public opinion polls, you know he is at least fifty fifty, and and some polls beats her in the national polls. So he has come a very very long way, and he has come a long way. This really. This really shows what his movement is doing. I mean, people are coming on board with him because they can see his sincerity and his his genuine intent. And I think the same thing happens with Trump. I mean, he's so blatant and so honest that they see he's sincere. He really believes what he's saying. And in no way am I a Trump supporter, but I do at least admire him for being honest because it's better the devil you know than the devil you don't. And I think some politicians like Clinton will hide and obfuscate what she's really about and then once she's in office, you get a whole different deal. With Trump, you're probably going to get what you see. So, yeah, the Democrats are, I think, really better at masking it and keeping it establishment, where the Republicans this cycle have just kind of let it all hang out. It's the difference between being in a button-down shirts and jeans or a miniskirt and a halter top. I mean, they're just, they're just out there letting it all go, and what you see is what you get. And people are responding to it. Dwayne, you don't agree with that? Well, I just want to correct Fern earlier where she said politicians shouldn't be comedians. I think Obama was hilarious at the correspondence oh, center, and he made a point to, to Bernie Sanders, 37,000 donations at $27 each is a million bucks to him. So, but he's <laughs> on his way out. He's not, he's not applying for a position for president oh, of the I, United I, States. I, I this is a, he's not in the interview process, so there's a difference well, in know. conduct. Obama took a lot of shots in that speech, and I, I expected to wake up today and see 100 conspiracy theories, to see 100 fuck you Obama posts, and people are just kind of like, oh, well, that was entertaining. Dwayne, Obama's approval ratings, as he said in the speech last night at the Correspondents' Dinner, is over 50% the first time in three years. Um, Fern, Kenny had actually, Fern, Kenny had actually said... Yeah, like uh, looking at what's going on now, Obama wasn't that bad. I've heard other people yep. who anti-Obama go, well, maybe he wasn't that bad. Is this just the inevitable opinion at the end of someone's term, like, oh, well, it wasn't that bad. We're not in the death camps. We don't have chips in our head. Or is something he, else going on? He's being quiet. He's being quiet. He wasn't he's quiet. Come out. And I didn't see the big hate fest that I usually see whenever well, no, he does. He was mostly making fun of himself. I mean, the first – I literally was falling out of my seat. Look at the Trump. What's that? 
He took it to so Trump. You're breaking up, Nick. I, God, this delay. Uh, anyway, he um he, he he the first half hour I was laughing my ass off, and then when he went to apply for his driver's license, making fun of himself. I mean, he he showed himself last night. I think as a human being, like I said before, he looks like a nice like nice likable guy, except when he's in the politi- politician mode. He honestly, I wouldn't mind him meeting him out on the street, you know, community organizer, stand-up comedian, late-night talk show host. But when he's in charge of, of pushing Obamacare and gun control, that's where his dislike comes out for a lot of people. But as far I think Jay has been spot on on almost everything about as far as the Democratic Party. I think Obama now is being on his way out. He's showing his personable side. He's showing that he, he's fallible. He's not showing himself being an asshole, a, nar- a narcissist. He's making fun of himself, which if he would have done this throughout his presidency and been more open like he promised and more jovial like Reagan was, even though Reagan had the serious side, Reagan still cut jokes with himself and was jovial and took things with a grain of salt. I think Obama would even have had a higher rating during his presidency, even with some of the liberal bullshit he tried to push. Or left-leaning, I'm sorry. I'm trying not to use liberal as a curse yeah. word anymore. I'm using left-wing. <laughs> and we appreciate that. Fern, so of course um, John Boehner came out, hates Ted Cruz, called him Lucifer, mm-hmm. said he's the most miserable son of a bitch in Washington. Um, he said he'll vote for Trump but not Cruz, which does that give you – let me side note here. Does that give you any brownie points with Boehner now that he's pro-Trump over Cruz, or do you still hate Boehner? <laughs> No, I don't hate Boehner. I never really did hate. Oh, no, I, I still dislike Boehner. I mean, he's a crybaby. He's a he's an insider. But th- this gives me, this gives me a few talk. This gives me a few. It gives him a few points on, in my camp. That yeah, that he would pick Trump. Right. He came out publicly saying I'll take Trump. Yeah. Outside of Boehner, I put a list up um, the other day of Republican. Punyants, radio show hosts, and Republican senators, politicians who would vote for Hillary Clinton over Ted Cruz. Why – or over Donald Trump, excuse me, over Donald Trump. Why is it with Ted Cruz with the hate level, the hate level that not one congressman has come out to endorse Ted Cruz? Why are people picking Cruz in Washington, uh, Hannity, everybody else? Why are they picking Cruz over Trump? Is it because Trump's an outsider? Is it because Trump's a threat to their party? Because Ted Cruz has been nothing. And another thing I think is unfair to Ted Cruz is Ted Cruz came into that party saying, I'm getting rid of Obamacare. I don't care if we have to burn the whole fucking country down to do it. I'm going to shut down the government. I'm going to obstruct. I'm not going to let Obama put a stop sign on Main Street. Obama is so antithetical to what liberty and justice means that I'm going to stop him at any cost. People cheered him, and now Trump and others are using that as an exact talking point against him. Look at this guy Cruz. He can't do anything. He can't get in here and negotiate. He can't compromise. But isn't this exactly what a lot of conservatives were begging Cruz to do a few years ago? It's kind of disingenuous to slam him for doing what they asked him to do years ago, right? Um, yeah, and you know, I, I heard one of the one of the uh, guests on a on MSNBC use this analogy, and this is this is great. And for some reason, I got this visual and just laughed my ass off. But basically, what he said was, Boehner was handed a bag of raccoons, and Ted Cruz was the guy standing there with the baseball bat hitting that bag repeatedly. 
So, of course, Boehner hates him. Yes, I get that. But at least Ted Cruz is an establishment politician. They look at somebody like Trump, they're like, this guy has no qualifications. Yeah, he's good at business, but he doesn't know how the system works. He says he does. He's not a politician. So, yeah, they're going to try to go with more of an establishment politician. What I don't understand is with the hate level for Ted Cruz, why people wouldn't try to support John Kasich, because he is an establishment politician. He is fairly moderate. I mean, there's things I don't like about him, but he's not – He's not hated across the board like Trump is in some arenas and like Ted Cruz is in some arenas. So I don't understand why the party doesn't coalesce behind Kasich. He seems to be like the most logical option to run against Hillary Clinton. And, Jay, let me ask you this. So you've got Ted Cruz coming out, the Tea Party movement coming out a few years ago. They said they were going to crash the government, crash our debt ceiling, do whatever it took to stop Obama. They were cheered. Now Congress... Republican and Democrats and the like have a, like a 6% approval rating, and people are saying, Ted Cruz, you suck. You couldn't get anything done. You couldn't compromise. But this is what Ted Cruz said he was going to do, and this is what a lot of conservatives sent him to Washington to do. So why are they crying over Ted Cruz doing that exact thing now? Well, I think that Ted Cruz is a puppet. I think that he's going to do what anybody tells him to do, and that's why they're interested in him, and that's why the American people don't like him. He's a puppet. But they liked him when he was taking it to Obama, and now they're using him taking it to Obama. That's because they they were clouded by their their dislike for Obama. Now they're not clouded by that. They don't have the same, you know, all they knew is, well, yay, he's going to come save us, like everyone told him to. But, you know, if he just did what he wanted to do and not what everyone told him to do, he would have that trust and that truth that people stand behind. He's not a leader. He's a follower. Simple. Wow. That is a pretty uh, bold statement. Dwayne, do you agree with Jay that Ted Cruz is just a follower when he goes out there against his whole party and says, I don't care what my party thinks, I am going to throw a wrench into the gears of uh, government every single chance I get. When he was questioned um, three years in, what have you done since you've been a senator? He said, I stopped things from happening. And a lot of people stood up and said, good job, Ted Cruz. Good job stopping things from happening. And now they're saying, how dare you stop things from happening, Ted Cruz? At first, I would have been like, Jay, you're wrong. But the more I reflect and the more I look back, and you and I have had this conversation, I think Cruz knew that he wasn't going to get support for all of his things that he said he was standing up for, you know, the Constitution and his filibuster, and he stood up for all these things. But deep down, he knew that this was just going to be a show to show that he was different, even though he's not. And I, and now that I look back, I can almost be certain that he, he probably had support by the rest of the Republicans. Yes, Ted, go ahead, put on this big show. Get to center stage, make it look like you're different from us, and do that. And, then why and I, did I hate him so much if he was just following orders? Or are you saying all this hate for him is fake? A show. It could be fake. It could be he's just that this uh, unlikable of a person. I think a lot of it is his family coming out and saying he's the anointed one, that he's Moses. I think a majority of the. So I, I think, okay, whether you have the, the, the support of evangelicals or the Christian right, most politicians are vile, corrupt, immoral beings to the, to the soul. I mean, to the their depths of their soul. They are immoral. 
so they don't really care what the evangelicals think or they don't agree with, but they use that support to get into office. So, But I think when he comes out publicly and his father comes out calling him Moses, most of the Republicans who are diddling uh, pages in the back offices, male pages in the back offices, really don't want to hear this anti-gay rhetoric and hear that he's Moses because they're doing all the nasty, sinful stuff that Ted Cruz is talking bad upon. So he's talking about, you know, his fellow Republicans. But is so that I, an act just, when he says that he's um, against all this stuff? Is his Christianity an act? Or is his Christianity I, just a sidebar to all of the other constitutional stuff he says? I think it's more of him using it to get votes. I think his Christianity is nowhere near as truthful as his father's. I mean, his father is like a is a evangelical nutcase. I think Cruz uses that to his advantage by the push comes to shove. Ultimately, I think the Inquirer story may come down as true down the road. I think there are going to be skeletons in his closet to totally stand against Christianity. I, I, I just think he... I think that is a lot to digest. Fern, um, are you agreeing with these guys that Ted Cruz is all a big seven... I think he came in in 2010. Is he all a big um, six-year act in order to put himself in this moment? Or... Did he go in there, guns blazing, saying that I'm going to fight the system, I'm going to shake up the system, and that's why people hate him? Or is he a puppet, as these guys are saying, and now they're throwing him to the wolves? Oh, he's totally a puppet. And and the thing that Ted Cruz has to his advantage is that he, if I'm not mistaken, I think he was like a debate champion at Harvard or wherever he went. Um, This guy knows how to talk, and this guy knows how to get what he wants with his mouth. And, yes, I just said that out loud. But – he he is very good at telling people what they want to hear. He reminds me of the typical snake oil salesman. He's very he's very slippery. And this guy wants a career as a yeah, politician. He wants the prestige. He wants the. Go up ahead, Dwayne. Oil salesman. He's up on a snake oil salesman. Badges, rice, bleach, bath. So sorry, that's what I'm Well, he. I mean, he's he's very slippery. I think he wants a career as a politician. He wants the prestige. He wants the money. He's, I don't really think he's in it for a change for this country. He is doing anything and saying anything that he can to get where he wants. He rode the coattails of the Freedom Caucus, and th- America's mad, so this is what we're going to do. I'm going to gain notoriety this way. I'm going to say anything that I need to say. And he does have the mouth to back well, it up, and he does have the backbone to back it up. Let's just talk voter here, though. Why is the average voter who was so, I love you, Ted Cruz, I don't care if you tried, if you spend billions of dollars repealing Obamacare 76 times, I don't care if you crash the debt ceiling and lower our um, credit rating worldwide, I don't care if you shut down the government two or three times and, you know, and it just fucks up our economy even worse. You take it to Obama, Obama is such a threat to America, you do whatever it takes. To destroy Obama, he did just that, and now those same people are like, fuck you, Ted Cruz. How dare you take it to Obama like that? How dare you mess up our credit rating? How dare, like, like Trump said, how dare you get into office and refuse to compromise with nobody and get nothing done? When that's what he was sent there by those same people to do. Why have the voters turned on I know why the establishment has, but why is the voters? Um, you know, I don't know if maybe it's a connection to Trump. I think that the ironic thing is I have yet to meet a Ted Cruz supporter. I have yet to talk to a Ted Cruz supporter. I've met Trump supporters, Hillary supporters, Bernie supporters. I myself am a Kasich supporter. But 
I've not run into one, not one Ted Cruz supporter. And the only thing that I can figure is the support that he is getting has to be because he's they all live in, Iowa. in line and they don't like Trump. So why are people turning against him? Maybe they see through him. Maybe they see he's vile. You know, they see how slippery he is. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe they remember. I, I don't even know. But I have yet to run into somebody who actually supports Ted Cruz. Fair enough. All right, let me ask this last question. We've only got a few minutes left. Jay, should Cruz, Sanders, and Kasich, as it's been said several times by several people in their parties, should they drop out? Should they just accept that Trump, it's going to be a Trump-Hillary general election, and all they're doing is just like... Well, I don't think, I don't think especially Cruz or Kasich, they're not going to drop out at the request of their party because then he would get those delegates that he needed. There's no way that that's going to happen. They're not going to but do should that. They? As far and as Sanders goes, as far as Sanders goes, I, you know, I feel like he has enough of the people's support, but I don't think he's getting the Democratic uh, convention support, that he, and he's never going to. Like, like, like we said before, they're getting their super delegates to vote for Hillary. It's basically the difference, as far as I can tell. I mean, maybe it's not the whole difference, but it's a lot. But in your opinion, should those three um, drop out and just let the system move uh, on and get to the next phase? I don't think my opinion really here matters. Uh, I don't think that they're going to drop out. I just don't. I don't and, I, and if I was one of them, I wouldn't drop out either because, you know, obviously Cruz is going to do whatever the, the man tells him. I don't know much about Kasich, but, you know, if they want to stay in the party's good graces, they're, they're not going to drop out because that's not what, what is expected of them. Well, I mean, word mm-hmm. around the political water cooler is Kasich's being backed by the establishment to stay in and just siphon off votes from Trump. Of course he is. Of course he is. So, you know, why why is Cruz there? He's there for the same reason. Neither one of them are going to win. They weren't going to win a long time ago. But Not they're, they're win, there to no. make sure. They're there to make sure that he he may may not reach the delegates he needs to cinch exactly. the uh, nomination. So I'll let you take this over. Um, should these guys drop out and just say it's Hillary and Trump and let's move on to the next level of this? Or should they stay in and keep hacking away until the convention, their respective conventions in Cleveland and Philadelphia? Should they stay in? No. Um, Sanders, I do have to give him credit from what I'm hearing rumors. I don't know how true, but he is cutting staff. He's already uh, filed the paperwork to retain his Senate seat. So he is seeing the writing on the wall and behind the scenes and about having this leak. Maybe he is conceding that, you know, he's going to unite the party and and support Hillary because ultimately, like Jay has said, it's already in the bag through the delegate process and through the establishment. So he seems to be, he seems, Bernie seems to be more party oriented and people oriented, what they want in the sense of it's going to be Hillary, whereas Kasich. And uh, Cruz are doing this just for their own greedy, self-serving needs and purposes. We're going to stay Absolutely. in here. I don't think I don't think they give a shit either about the constituency, the delegate process, the party. I think it's all about them keeping their name relevant, showing, look, I fought till the bitter end. I'm not a quitter, regardless. And I think they're looking at a 2020 uh, uh, run against Kanye West, which I think is the biggest threat that we have right now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness! 
Burn. Well, you know, I think that I think the interesting thing here is is whether they should or should not drop out. You know, these guys should just drop out and just let nature take its course. And you know, that's to me that's utter bullshit. I mean, if you have a chance to be the presidential nominee and you've run a campaign and there's no clear path for somebody to go and take that nomination, then you absolutely should stay in. What I want to know is if the Republicans nominate. If they if they put a nominee up that isn't Trump, I don't know how they're going to sell the second or third place guy to the American people and make people okay with that. I just don't psychologically understand they how they're going to do, do what that. They have to do what they're doing now. They have to drive home that these parties are private institutions and they can do whatever they want, and they're not constitutionally bound to the American people for their input. The problem is, is that's going to turn away Republican voters by doing that. So they're going to have to figure out a better way than just saying it is what it is and you're going to have to deal with it. On the Democratic side, the interesting thing is, is you just have Bernie and Hillary. And Bernie has, has said, he said, look, I'm staying in until the last vote is cast because people should have a choice, which is so funny from a self-proclaimed socialist, right? But it's it's true. People should have a choice. They should be able to say, you know what, I'm not voting for Hillary. I want Bernie or whatever, if it's a closed primary and you can only vote D. So he's staying in it to show the people that their voice matters and that they do have a choice and that, you know, we can change things. And I do admire that about him. Does he have a real shot at it? Not unless he can get those superdelegates on his side. And I think that was the fervent hope for him. But I don't think that's going to happen. All right. We'll let, as always, Dwayne get the last word here because i got to get Jay out of here. Two things. Mathematically impossible for Sand, or Cruz to even get the number of delegates he needs. And number two, mm-hmm. he's totally screwed up picking Fiorina because if they go to a broker convention, he has no say in who the vice president picks. That's it. true. It's the delegates. So and that's something that I wanted to hit on today, too, is like Marco Rubio comes in third and says, we did it. Ted Cruz came in last in New Hampshire was like, we did it. And then he he loses five contests, five states in a row, four of them. He came in behind Kasich, and he picks a VP and says, we're doing great. This is taking act as if, fake it until you make it, to a delusional level at this point, right, Dwayne? Yes. Yes, I mean, that's why I, I, you know, first thing, well, if you have a chance, I don't see him having a chance unless the establishment comes out and totally throws away Trump's delegates and says, fuck you people, we're picking Cruz anyway. And that's the only but way they he do has a have chance. a chance with a contested or a brokered convention because it's a very, even though Trump mathematically can do it, it is still a very narrow path. You're talking about going to these Midwestern states, which are Cruz country, and then to California, which gives three delegates per county. I think there's like 53 uh, per district. I think there's like 53 districts in so he has to actually win a lot of California to really mathematically cinch that 1237. So his path is narrow, which means inevitable contestants. 40%, 40% of the remaining delegates to win. That's all he needs is 40% to get the well, number of delegates. This is why facts don't mean anything, because I've heard on one side that um, Cruz has got three times the support now that Mike Pence came out for him in Indiana that he's pulling it three times better than Trump there. And then when I pull up real clear politics, it shows in every contest and every poll that Trump's at least four points ahead of Cruz in Indiana. So who do you believe when you're getting conflicted numbers like this? So we got to move on to my thing about the 60%. Kettle Fish is coming up. Um, Jay, tell everybody where we can find you. I want to thank you for calling in today. Tell everybody where they can find you and what you're working on. 
Uh, we can find me at narcoleptigyouth.com and the uh, Modern Age Defined YouTube channel. That's pretty much it at the moment. All right. Love those names. Love those names. I love both those names more than anything. <laughs> well, thank yeah, the you. The first time I had Jay on, I told him that um, because of my sleep apnea, I actually developed narcolepsy. And one of the things I would use to drive home, because I was actually on anti-narcoleptics, falling asleep behind the wheel, and I would actually blast. Put the windows down when you know this is winter time and blast narcoleptic youth so I wouldn't fall asleep behind the wheel. So you are my prescription to staying awake, Jay. Nice. There you go. All right, Jay. Thank well, you so it seems much. like you've learned to think for yourself, so that's good. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> as I said, um, bands like narcoleptic youth, they are encoded on my DNA. That punk movement is probably why I do this today. So I owe a lot to guys like you. All right. Well, thank you. I had a great time. MySpace. Fifty years ago, when MySpace was a thing, we used to talk politics, and I used to mix. So this is definitely giving awareness and stuff. All right, Jay, we got to move the kettle of fish. Thanks so much for calling in. Bye, Jay. Thank you. All right. Bye. Alrighty, guys, we got a minute and a half left. We are not going to have a political show. We're going to do a couple more kettle of fish. We're not going to have a political show. Until we do one live in Virginia and it's open on our new tin can server. How are you how are we all gonna exist without talking politics for the next Oh, I'm sure you guys will talk politics every day anyway. Like really. I do I, I don't even know how not to. Um I'll I'll be like jumping for joy. Steve <laughs> <laughs> she goes crazy at it. Dwayne, um, we got a couple seconds left. How are we not going to talk politics on the air for oh, the next? Oh, cool. uh, okay. Thank you for clearing that up on the air. Um, I think with our daily conversations now and our weekly uh, YouTube hangout, I think we'll have enough to keep ourselves uh, satiated with it and, and keep our adrenaline levels up. I think so. Yeah, I, probably. You've got to go. We've got 20 seconds to yeah, uh, till we hit kettle of fish, fern. In the last 15 seconds here, we've got a few weeks without no politics. Does that make you sad? It does not because there's always something batshit crazy coming out on the news. Daily, Facebook, daily, we will have plenty to discuss. All righty, guys, I want to thank you for tuning in. Next time you hear us, we will be live at Fern's house. Here comes Kettle of Fish. This week on Kettle of Fish, magician Steve Trash stops by to talk about upcycling the magic. Welcome to our after show. We call Kettle of Fish the No Politics Laughter Show. It's time for Kettle of Fish. No debate, hate, or argument allowed on Kettle of Fish. It's like a Willy Wonka psychedelic acid trip. So hooray for Kettle of Fish. All righty, welcome to Kettle of Fish, the show after the show, the talk after the talk, the 20-minute comedy money shot after the two, I guess I should say today, magical money shot, after the two hours of political foreplay. Um, Dwayne had to skip out, but we've got Fern and we've got Dee here. Are you guys ready to get fishy? Yeah. Yes, 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 Bubble, bubble, fish noise. I'm snorkeling today. It's actually raining in Virginia Beach, so I've got my snorkel on and my mask, so I'm totally fished out right now. Yeah, it's getting ready to rain. Here. There you go. That is dedication, absolutely. And you know, I'm, I'm excited about today's 
guest, when we put the kettle of fish page up, and I think we're at episode 25 right now, I put up we're going to have like models and magicians and everything else. And we finally got a magician on here, so I didn't sound like I was talking out my ass about it. Because magic to me is so fascinating. We went to um we've been we went to see John Shore at a magical dinner theater. We went so fun. Um, not too long ago for a band related thing, we went to Gatlinburg and we spent like an hour in a magic shop, bought a bunch of yeah, magic more um, than that. Cool. Yeah, probably more than that. Bought a bunch like, of illusions. We're, we're junkies, man. It, it was like we were just standing there watching him do all of his tricks. Like some of his tricks he's doing twice. Because we'd already seen them once, and I'm like, I don't care. Listen, now I'll just live here. Okay, you guys can go to lunch. I'm here. <laughs> I love magic. Magic. I'm. I'm so like. I'm not the kind of person that can figure that stuff out. So I'm just as amazed at as the like, the five year olds and the thirteen year olds that are just going, ooh ah. Like I'm really when it comes to magic, I love it. It's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but today's guest is a little bit different than just a straightforward magician. Why don't you tell us about today's guestie? Yay! Yes, today's guest combines two of my favorite things: um, magic and not wasting anything. No upcycling. And I actually had to teach you the meaning of that word because you had no idea. Um, and it was kind of one of those, you know, all that stuff that I do in the backyard with all the like pieces of things that I reused and turned into something else. That's upcycling. Um, so yeah, he does upcycling with magic and teaches kids the importance of, of taking care of the planet and how to, you know, take all the stuff that you think is just garbage and reuse it and use it for something else. And, you know, just because you're done with it doesn't mean that it's not useful. And, uh, yes, I, I was super-duper excited when you told me we were having him on because I thought it was the coolest thing, like, ever. I mean, I literally – I'm one of these people that I literally have planters in the backyard made of soda bottles and milk crates. And when we, when I made the new chicken coop, I recycled as much of the old pieces as I could. Um, and, yeah, I'm always about taking something and making something else out of it, which also means that I tend to have a bag of random things in the house that everybody's like, is this garbage? I'm like, no, I'm going to use it for a project. I, mm-hmm. I just need five more. Just need a few more. Just No, just leave it. I promise I'm going to use it. Just leave it. Um, so, yeah. Definitely. I always say I like to leave a room smarter than I entered it. And whenever I, I have been doing the research, I watch these sustainability videos by them along with all the magic. I left the room smarter than I entered it. So I am very mm-hmm. excited to have today's guest on. I don't know if it's cheesy to say ta-da, but here he is. Steve <laughs> no, that, that's not cheesy at all, I promise. Nice, nice. <laughs> Hey, um, so like I said in the intro, I was watching some of your videos. I do want to thank you for calling in. It is amazing to have you here. And speaking of amazing, after going down the Steve Trash rabbit hole, looking at everything you do, your magic is kind of not the most amazing thing about you. You've, you're a huge <laughs> environmentalist. You've got your green magic kit for children, which is a first. You've got your music album that promotes environmental issues. How did you incorporate this magic and your passion for, you know, the green movement and environmentalism? How did that all come about to be incorporated together so seamlessly? Because it really does come off as very hand-to-hand where you would not have thought that if, you know, you were an outside spectator. You wouldn't think that's something that goes hand-to-hand. But you pull it off beautifully, Steve. Thank you. 
Well, that, that actually, I really, really appreciate that as a compliment because when I started uh, doing eco magic, uh, doing found object magic tricks uh, as a street performer back in the early, early 80s in New York City, I can tell you people looked at me like cows at a passing train, man. I bet. <laughs> they, they just they couldn't understand what what I was trying to accomplish. And my, my wife has said, look, I just tend to figure stuff out a little bit sooner than the other people do. And I'm not sure if she's right, but it's absolutely true. As a little kid, I had a passion for performing magic tricks. I wasn't very good at it, but I had a passion for it. I also simultaneously had a passion for uh, found objects, uh, just like I think Bee was describing her, mm-hmm. uh, the pots you have in the backyard that you put your plant, their planters in there, up like this. As a little kid, I literally would walk around my neighborhood in Montgomery, Alabama, and I would collect the stuff that people had thrown away, you know, broken picture frames and old foot lockers or just crazy-shaped car parts that I didn't really understand what they were. I'm like, I'm like seven years old, right? And I'm like, oh, this is really good. I've got a, someone, I can make something out of this. So I would keep all of this stuff. And then, you know, uh, at some point, those two, these two uh, parallel lines began to intersect, and then they began to intertwine, and I got to a point where I was like, you know, I love magic tricks, but artistically, uh, magic tricks don't really say anything. So I would like to maybe bring what I love about theater into it, and so I began trying to very subtly incorporate uh, waste reduction messages or, or everything in the natural world as connected messages. And if you build a whole magic show with garbage and you name yourself Steve Trash, you don't even right. have to say anything about the environment because it's built into what you're doing. Yeah. Well, how, how is the magic yeah. community... I'm reacting to this. How are your peers reacting to this? Is it like you're not supposed to bring this in because this could be seen as political and hurt the community? Or are they like, bravo, my friend. I'm glad that you're working on more than one level. Um, Later, uh, more recently, uh, it's at the bravo level. I literally, way back in the day, now, mind you, I'm an Academy of Magical Arts member, a member of the Magic Castle now, and, and I go all the time, and I've performed there. But back in the day, they looked at me, I auditioned, I killed, by the way. I mean, there were 25 people in there that were non-magicians, and I slayed them. And the guys looked at me, and they said, you know, I just don't think we're really interested in a trash guy. You know, it's just not really. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but, that, that you know, it just took them a while to figure out that I was doing something interesting. And now they're they're all about it. I mean, they, the Magic Castle had a an issue where uh, parts of it burned recently, and so they put in wow. um, energy-efficient energy lighting, and they put in, you know, quite a few, like, um, uh, energy-efficient air conditioning. And so they get it. I mean, it's Southern California. They, they get it. But it did take them quite a long time to catch up. And, and, frankly, there were quite a few magicians that simply didn't understand uh, what I was doing. And I'm totally cool with that because I, I never made shows for magicians. I made shows for the general public, because my passion was transforming the way people see their connection to nature. And specifically, I focus on kids, because I have a real connection uh, with children. Well, that's interesting. Let me ask you this. 
Um, fundamental question, kind of, what to you, what is magic? And is there a certain expectation as far as presentation and decorum? Is there a difference to you between like a Chris Angel or a David Blaine and a David Copperfield? Is it like, okay, this guy is more what you would expect a David Copperfield from a magician? Is he just as, is a Chris Blaine just as legitimate as a David Copperfield, even though he's got rougher edges? Or is magic is magic, and there doesn't have to be a certain expectation of presentation about it? No, yeah, for me it's the second. Uh, you know, I don't think, uh, I mean, you're talking to a guy that made a whole magic show out of garbage, so I don't put a whole lot of rules on entertainment, you know? Right. Uh, so as far as I'm concerned, um, David Blaine or Chris Angel are absolutely as valid as David Copperfield. Now, for easily two decades, David Copperfield was probably the finest big illusionist touring. I mean, nobody even came close. Um, but if your job is to amaze people, that's that's the only criteria. I don't care how you dress. I don't care what you look like. I don't even care what your attitude is or your language. If you're just amazing, um, that's your job. You know, that's it's just be amazing. Okay, fair enough. Um, you you talk a lot about street magic. Do you like doing street magic better than doing big house type shows? Or because I know it's different, right? When you're doing street magic, you're so much closer to the audience. Is that a little bit more difficult because they're right there looking right at what you're doing? Or is the stage more comp- um, more kind of complicated because there's more of a chance because the illusions are so much more complex of making a misstep. Which one is easier and which one do you like better? If easier is even a word we can use in this situation. Uh, man, that's a really perceptive question. Because from 84, I used to live in New York City. I lived in the village down on Spring Street from 84 uh, to 89. And I worked Washington Square Park uh, and Central Park. That's how I made a living. When the weather was good, I was the only bus you know, I was only street performing. And uh, mind you, I graduated with a degree in theater, so I understood what it was like to be in a theater. And I can tell you, as sort of a partial answer to your question, that street performers can almost always move onto a theater and be very effective entertainers. And it is not necessarily true, the opposite. The skills that being a theater person teach you do not teach you the same skills uh, that you would need to be a great uh, street act. So I would say um, it's more difficult to be a great street act, but a great street act can be a great theater act uh, as well. Uh, because here's the thing the street act teaches you, first of all, I grew up in Texas and Alabama, but I speak quickly. Okay. And I speak quickly because I had to work in New York City and you wanted to convince someone, not only somebody walking past you, that you're interesting enough to stop and see and watch, but to give you money. I mean, that's kind of a thing. I mean, you're saying, I'm so interesting, you have to stop, you have to watch, you have to give me money to keep doing this artistic thing. And those are really good talents um, to to put in your back pocket. Uh, You know, they're good quivers to have in your uh, your pocket so you can use them. And you can use every skill you learn as a street entertainer in the theater. Uh, My preference? frankly, is the theater, because I like control. I like control of the audience. I like control of what I'm presenting. And a theater gives you that option to be so much more in control. I mean, I've never met, and this is, I stand by this. I've said it before. I've never met a street performer that was truly amazing and great that wasn't at the heart of it an anarchist. Anarchists don't want to be told when 
or where or how much that and every great street performer. Now, mind you, I'm talking about Philippe Petit. I'm talking about Charlie Barnett. I'm talking about Tony Vera. Some of your listeners, if they lived in New York City, know all of those names. And obviously, you know, uh, Philippe Petit is very famous. But he was working Washington Square Park back then. And I would see all these people and go, you know, you're just not right. You know, you, you're here for your own artistic reasons. And I'm going to watch you and learn from you, but I won't ever be you because I'm just not that. I like control over the situation, you know, better than that. Wow, that really breaks it down. D, um, Fern, what do you guys think about that? Because I'm watching these videos on Steve's YouTube, and there was a lot of things that struck me. One is that he also has intersected with his magic videos, his sustainability videos, and it kind of showed two sides of Steve, which I really liked. And I'll get back with him on that. But what do you guys think about what Steve's saying as far as street magician, anarchist, controlled environment, the stage? I mean, we're learning a lot here, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. And, and I think it, it kind of does bring a lot. It's something that I really hadn't thought of before but makes total sense um, because, like you said, it, there's no difference really between the street performer and the one on a giant stage in Vegas. There's really not. The only difference is how many people you're performing for at one time. But they both, you know, there's there's different skills that each one has to have. And then for you to take not just that skill set, but on top of it, try to make it meaningful and try to teach somebody something and try to make them aware of something that maybe it's just kind of something in the background, It, it it's just Freaking cool! <laughs> like really. Fern, you want to chime in on this? Oh yeah, you know it's I, it's funny because I sat down with my 13 year old and I said, "Hey, I want you to check this guy out. Just look at this. He's uh he just got a magic box for Christmas from my uh, from my mother and my father, nice. and he's infatuated with magic and he's just you know he's starting to you know get his bearings and toy around with it a little bit. And I totally encourage it. I think it's creative. I think it's fun. I think it's intellectual. And bringing the, you know, uh, upcycling part to it is so important. Like D, you know, I, I'm, I have little yogurt cups that I recycle when I start my seeds for my garden, and that's what I start my seeds in. So I, I'm, it's very, very important for us to take care of the earth and really cut down on what we use, not because we're afraid of something, but because we just should take care of it. It's just, it's the right thing to do. And I think what you do is so very important and you make it so much fun. He had such a good time watching the video and laughing. I mean, we were all laughing. It was great. It was awesome. Thank you. Well, can can I interject something here as to how how those two things tie together? It's um, the, the, the magic, magic works for a very, very, very simple psychological reason. The reason you get that um, that rush of dopamine, you either laugh or you go <gasps> like that when you see a magic trick is because you have cognitive dissonance that, and your mind doesn't know how to solve that. It's, um, you, your mind knows that a woman can't float in the air. So when the couch is taken away and the woman is floating, you've created this dissonance, right? And there's this, um, there's this feeling that you get. And most people stop there. But the reason that trick is working is because you've drawn false conclusions from a false false premise. Okay, so what the great magician does is the great magician says, I'm going to give you a, uh, a false premise. 
and you're going to follow that false premise to the point where I can make this amazing thing like a woman float in the air. So you reach a false conclusion because false information at the beginning leads you to false information at the end. So tie this in to why I do a sustainability-driven show. It's because as a little kid I realized that you can't pollute the environment, you can't overuse resources, and, and get away with it. It is a false premise to begin with to say we can uh, uh, use and abuse Mother Nature's resources and it will never come back to harm us. Even as a little kid, I was like, that's Amen. stupid. Yeah, that doesn't even make sense, you know? And so I started marrying those two things together, going, saying right up front, look, we have a false premise. We start the conversation with this notion that we don't have to be sustainable, we don't have to be renewable. Now, having said all of this stuff about me not being an anarchist, at the same time, I hate being told what to do, right? I mean, that's why I started being a street performer. I don't like laws. I don't like rules. I do understand, though, that the rules that really apply are the ones that Mother Nature made up because it's like trying to play baseball using a football. Right, You have to play by the rules of the actual game, right? And Mother Nature has some particular rules she has set up. Um, systems generally work in cycles, right? The, you know, think about it. The air that you breathe, that's completely recycled. You breathe it out, trees and plants breathe it in, and they exhale oxygen. That's a cycle. It goes out, comes back in. The water that makes up your body, that is a cycle. It goes up to the air, it, it condenses, it falls down, it runs all over the earth, soaks in, some of it goes in your body, some of it evaporates. That is a circle. That is a cycle. So at a very, very basic level, what I'm trying to do with my performance is get people to pivot their view towards a more accurate view of how we interface with the planet. Now I'm trying to do it in, you know, in a much funner way than that. <laughs> you know, but that's the thinking that goes into it. Well, I have to tell you, too, and I'm not just saying this because you're on the show. I mean, I wouldn't have you on the show if I didn't already think this. I think you're very brave in taking this on. And, you know, I'm, we're friends with Jay Johnson, the Vertuilquist, and one of the things that amazed me about him is he's got his regular entertainment page, and on it he has a blog where he speaks to political issues. And I'm always right. amazed by guys like you who are able to incorporate things that may be very um, heated topics, and you're like, look, this is what I stand for, this is what I believe in, and if this kind of makes a few people turn away and go, well, that's Steve Trash, he's one of these liberal environmentalist nuts, then you're okay with that because you're putting the work before you're putting, hey, I have to like just get in every single unit, every dollar as possible. And I wish more people would do that. I think it's important. Right. Well, in, in my case, I, I actively um, – and by the way, I'm a huge Jay Johnson fan. Uh, he's both a, a talented guy and a really intelligent guy and a good conversationalist. But I stay away. I, I made a really, really important decision early on. What I talk about is not environmentalism. What I talk about is environmental science. It's how the natural world actually works. And here's the thing. You can be conservative, you can be independent, you can be liberal, and Mother Nature will treat you exactly the same yes. way. Yes, your, yes. Your opinion about it is irrelevant. Your opinion, your, your world view about what is correct, what is incorrect, it actually does not 
matter. What matters is, like I was saying about the baseball game, follow the rules that Mother Nature set up. You know, I wrote a book a couple of years ago that for the business community that was massively unsuccessful. <laughs> it, was, it was called uh, Profit Sustainably, and it was basically I was advocating that businesses move towards sustainability with only the bottom line in mind, right? Forget environmentalism. You could be completely environmentally agnostic. You should do this because it will make more money for you. The, the book never really took off. However, it made me even more convinced that the sustainability uh, path is the path that we must move towards. And I came up with two rules after having written this book and done all of the research. These are the two rules that everyone needs to ask themselves when they're making a choice about how to affect or be affected by the environment. Number one, is it renewable? Number two, does it create pollution? Now, everything else is much more complicated, but if you can answer those two questions correctly, you're probably making a sustainable choice. Is it renewable? And that can apply to energy. That can apply to the bag that you use or don't use at supermarket. Uh, and does it make pollution? And if you can answer those, obviously, pollution would be no, and is it renewable? The answer would be yes. You're probably on that path, the path that Mother Nature set up at the beginning, um, that if we don't get on it, there will be serious ramifications. And that's smart, and I think um, I'm a big fan of um, Thomas Friedman. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he kind of writes from the same like bottom line. Hey, if I can't appeal to you as a human being, let me appeal to your like your profit margin and tell you that if we don't switch to green energy, the countries like India and Germany now, who's gone almost completely green, these are the countries that are going to kick our ass in the next 20 years and become superpowers. And I think it's smart to frame it that way. Well, you can. Uh, I live in Alabama. Uh, I live. Uh, my wife and I own an earth-burned house. Uh, the south-facing wall of my home is all glass, all windows. Yeah, I saw that. Of course, in the front yard we've got a 21-panel solar array. But uh, my neighbors, although they are great outdoorsmen, they love being outdoors, are, are pretty conservative people. So I have to be able to speak with them in a way that they like and understand and get along with. And so I tend to make it more about the science of ecology when we talk, or I talk about how much money you can save. I mean, people ask mm-hmm. me about my solar array. And in Alabama, because I'm on uh, our uh, power provider is Alabama Power, and they actually penalize me for being a supplier. Uh, but some people, frankly, have to be out front. You know, you need to be the Cuddy Sark. You need to yeah. be the one that is providing green energy back to the system, even if it costs you money, because um, you know what? The, somebody needs to leave. You know that silly expression, leave forward, get out of the way? Well, I believe in that. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, once again, we could have a whole hour conversation on the communities, on the different states or counties that punish you mm-hmm. for trying to go green. Um that's something that really irks me, pisses me off. And, D, we've had this conversation before. Our town will penalize us for collecting rainwater, and I think it's absolutely ridiculous when counties mm-hmm. or towns do that. I mean, that's something that really irks me, why, why I'm doing the right thing, and you want to come and try to penalize me for it. Yeah, well, the, yeah. Uh, the over the – over, uh, I'm sorry about that, D. Go ahead. You're good. No, I was going to say it's ridiculous because, if anything, you know, people should be encouraged – to do things that are, 
going to make it easier for the power company to provide accurate services for everybody and make it, you know, less harmful for the planet. And, I mean, it's like, you know, it makes sense. It's the Aldi's way. If you use your own bag, you don't have to pay. But if you have to use their bag, it costs extra because they want you to use your own. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. It just makes sense. Well, I think yeah. our job is in transforming the story that those people in power, you know, say the, the, your local city officials or your county that are saying you can't collect uh, rainwater. The, the way to win is, frankly, to transform the story, what people tell themselves that collecting rainwater means, what it means to them as a story of a community to make green, renewable energy. Uh, we, we simply need – because that, that's how we live. I mean, what we think is right and wrong – it, what we think is right and wrong is a story that we've told ourselves about what is right and wrong. And that's why I think that huh, the, cultural, yeah. the cultural winners are the ones that are able to dig in and transform the story of what, what the meaning of the thing is. And, you know, as a little kid, I got it. Uh, you know, I've got that connection to nature. My dad was a forester. I grew up in Alabama. You know, I spent a lot of time in the woods. You know, it's a lot of in my 20s. My brother and I thought that's what you did on Christmas morning. You know, you get up and go to the woods, right? We thought that's what you do, you know. But I got older and realized that not a lot of people have that great advantage. Because say what you will about Alabama, um, politically, um, there are some good folks here, and the state is stunningly beautiful. I mean, it's a really beautiful state. And so we have lots of outdoor stuff uh, that you can do. And I grew up surrounded by that. So in a way, I get to be sort of a – I don't know, an advocate for the outdoors and, and simultaneously an, an advocate for the, the whole planet, if you will. You know, Steve, I could sit here all day and talk to you about environmental issues. We've got to get you back to get on our political panel panel and talk about this. We've only got a few minutes left. i got to shift gears. I want to ask you a couple idiot fanboy questions about Magic. <laughs> all right, first off, one thing I'm watching – as I always watch Magic with a very skeptical eye, and I'm wondering because you talked earlier about evoking cognitive dissonance and like wow in the audience. As somebody who's been doing Magic 25 plus years, can anybody still wow you? Can you still see an illusion and go, I have no idea how he did that, or is everything kind of fundamental? You've been in it long enough where you at least know the basics of how they're doing it. No, no, no. I, uh, I I'm deceived all the time. I call it watching with new eyes. Every uh, magician that I watch, I go in not trying to dissect the thing. I watch with new eyes, and, yeah, I'm deceived all the time, and I love it. I get exactly the same feeling that, uh, you know, just a regular person in the audience, a straight person, would get. So the answer is, yeah, people fool me all the time, and I totally love it. Wow, that is beautiful, right, Dee? That you could still have that childlike wonder even after being – I mean, because since we started doing politics three years ago in the ignorance equation – I kind of feel a little bit jaded, and like I, I understand exactly how these systems work. But the fact that Steve still goes into this with, as he said, new eyes, that's fairly amazing, right? Yeah, but I think magic is a lot easier to do that with. Like, politics gets me down after a while. I get really burnt out. But I'm pretty sure that I could watch or be involved in any sort of magic in any way like every single day, and I don't think I'd ever get tired of it. It's like saying, hey, uh, it, it's like pizza for me. Like I, I have been known to literally eat pizza every day for weeks upon weeks upon weeks because there's always something different, and there's always some other way you can do it or some other way you can see it. And I'm like, dude, it's magic. 
Like, it's like, that's like saying, oh, does music ever get old? Well, of course not. It's music. It's magic. It's it's just, I, yeah, yeah I'm a big magic person. Guys might be a little bit jaded. Fern, you're the newbie as far as all of this on the shows. You've been with us eight months. Um, looking at it, how Steve looks at it, do you still have new eyes when it comes to what we're doing? Do you understand what Steve's saying? Uh, yeah, actually, I think the difference with politics versus magic is, you know, magic is so cerebral and so talented and so entertaining and, and just can, you know, just take you to a hold. I, I can be talking about politics and be completely just frustrated and then watch magic and be like, oh, cool, like I'm I'm four again. I, it's always so wondrous to me. So I don't want to dissect it. Honestly, I don't want to figure out the trick behind it. I just want to sit and watch and just be amazed at what people do. Whereas politics, I do want to dissect it. I want to break it down on both sides. I want to understand where they're coming from. And I want to really dig into the meat of it. Magic, I just want to let it be magic. Just let it be magical yeah. and enjoy it and not dissect it and try to think too hard about it because it is very, it is a, a very big talent and a very cerebral thing. So I just like to enjoy it. Well, that's an interesting mm-hmm. question, and Steve. Um, do people now, looking back over your career of almost 30 years, now that you have your phones and Google and YouTube, um, is it harder to suspend that disbelief inside people? Are they more skeptical because they can just jump on their phone and look up the trick you just did? Or do people put all that aside because, like Fern said, they want to be amazed. They want to suspend any of that cynicism and just walk into it with those new eyes every single episode of you performing? I, you know, that's, an, that's a really interesting question. That The sort of parentheses around that is I can tell you that the smarter the person, the easier to deceive. Um, uh, the children are harder to deceive than grown-ups. Wow. Um, because, oh, oh, that's a fact. Ask any magician, and they'll tell you that. And the reason, of course, is uh, abstract thinking. Uh, uh, grown-ups are very, very abstract thinkers, layers upon layers upon layers, and a child is, generally speaking, a concrete thinker. You know, they see something floating in the air, and the grown-up says, well, that must be an electromagnetic reverse uh, holographic uh, thingamabob. And the kid goes, no, 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 it's, it's a string. See, there's a string. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah, so that makes sense. yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, the ups are complicated. We have complicated systems. It's it's why we have societies. We we can think abstractly. Um, but the real answer to your question is, uh, I think no. People are either open or they are not. And a great magician brings people into the fold that both are uh, wonder freaks. And it sounds like, frankly, your uh, your guest, your fellow podcasters, uh, radio broadcasters are also wonder freaks. And those people come in going, yeah, man, hit me with the dopamine. There are also other people that come in and say, I'm analytical. This is frustrating. I will take this apart, and I'm going to sit here until I can figure this out. And both are welcome at a magic show. If you are a great magician, you are able to create magic that is interesting and intriguing and fun for both of those kinds of audiences. So this new technology of having any information at your fingertips really hasn't had an impact on you as a performer then? Uh, the only impact it's had is you've got to stay ahead of the curve, and that's you don't really want to be doing tricks uh, that everyone else is doing that you can download off of YouTube and learn the instructions. 
too, because that will get in your way. But, you know, I've been doing things so originally and differently for so long that that's not really a problem for me, you know, because it's just kind of I'm not doing what anybody else is doing anyway. I mean, if you've got 30 seconds, mm-hmm. I'll tell you how I, how I came up with Speed Trash. Long ago, I didn't even meet a professional until I was in my 20s. And there was this wow. guy, this guy, his name is Marvin Roy. He was Mr. Electric. Mr. Electric had been on The Tonight Show and, you know, Jack Paul and everything. He was, he was really famous. And I met him at a convention. I said, Mr. Electric, I want to be a professional magician. Tell me what to do. And he said, hey, kid, if you want to be a magician, there's a thousand of them out there. If they want the guy with the light bulbs, they're asking for me. Go find your light bulb. And so that's when I actively actively went looking for that thing that I was passionate about, that hook. And for me, it was the environment and trash and being connected to the natural world. And, and as soon as I infused that into my shows, into my show business world, it put me in this very unique place where nobody was like me. It also made me really happy because the art form was interesting to me. To be honest, I don't think I would want to be just an illusionist that makes people go, oh, wow. Although there are a few amazing things I do that are not eco-themed, and I never perform them publicly because it doesn't fit with the trash. Man, that is amazing. Okay, we got to wrap this up. I've got to hit one more point. This is purely, like I said, idiot, fanboy, logistical. Um, magician assistants, because I'm watching your shows. I'm watching what an integral part they play in every illusion. Do they know everything, or do you just give them enough pieces to be able to play their role? Or they know exactly how the, the illusion works? No, no. Great, great assistants. Uh, I call them cast members. They are partners on the stage. In fact, I go as far as to them, even give them character names. I mean, sometimes the, the women on stage are Mother Nature, or some, and we'll saw Mother Nature in half, or sometimes it'll be Surfer Girl. Surfer Girl, stage. yeah. Uh, yeah, Surfer Girl gets taken apart like water does and put back together. So, no, 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 they know everything, and they are really actively partners on stage with every illusionist. Any illusionist worth their salt will tell you that. All right. That answers my question. Um, D and Fern, I'll let you guys get the last word. I've kind of been monopolizing Steve because I am so blown away by all things Steve Trash. So I'll let you guys have the last word on this. Um, I just want to let, I, I just want you to let everybody know where to get your green magic kit because I think it's just a fabulous thing. I think it's awesome. I don't think it's out there anymore. Um, they, it was, uh, Imagine Play produced the first run, and they sold a bunch. I mean, they sold a couple thousand of them. And then I think mm-hmm. the company was sold, so I don't think it exists anymore. But if you if you are interested in – my magic book is still out there. I wrote a magic yeah. book called The Magic of Ecology. And uh, it's downloadable on Kindle, and it's 21 magic tricks, uh, and each one illustrates an ecological principle or an ecological concept. Um, I think it's downloadable as a PDF for free from my website, SteveTrash.com. Yeah, I think I saw it, which yeah. is super-duper awesome. Yeah, yeah. Fern? Oh, I, you know, it's just, it was really cool to see what you do and how you incorporate, you know, the environmental aspect in it, and it is very important. Actually, one of my favorite classes that I ever took was environmental science and learning about, you know, envelope houses and different different things that you can do to be ecologically sound, and it was fascinating to me. So 
I definitely appreciate the uniqueness that you've brought to combined magic and being environmentally friendly and, and not only friendly but productive. And I, I just think it's great. So it was a pleasure to talk to you. All well, right. Well, the pleasure was mine. Thank you, guys. Steve. Thanks. Thank you so much for calling in. As a good illusionist, today you have totally changed my perceptions about magic, which is definitely a good thing. You perform all over the world. I've been going back and forth with you. Your schedule is hectic. Um, tell everybody where they can find you, what you've got coming up, and where to kind of resource all things Steve Trash. Well, the best thing to do is uh, to find me on Instagram. I really like Instagram because I was in the United Arab Emirates three weeks ago, and I shared photographs of performances there, and then I, I flew in, and I was working in New Jersey. So uh, follow me on Instagram. If you're really interested in the video, go to my uh, YouTube page, and uh, that's the best way to get a hold of me, and uh, let's, uh, let's just talk. If you like the work that I'm doing, um, Share it with people because I guarantee I will be in your town sometime soon because I am all over the place. Out, out the door, let me ask you this one last thing. When you have your YouTube channel up, I notice you have your sustainability videos and you're kind of doing them more in your real-life persona. Next to your magician videos or illusionist videos, do you find it takes away a little bit of the wonder? Or are you comfortable kind of displaying both facets of your personality there on YouTube? Uh, that's a fascinating question. I wrestle with that every day. It's to, I mean, we live in the 21st century, and everyone wants, uh, give me real, you know, give me the real thing, give me the, yeah. the behind-the-scenes, what's the dope, you know, what's the lowdown, what's the dope? And I, I don't know if that's what they really want, because I'm just sort of a, a boring old guy in real life. <laughs> Nice. All righty, Steve. Thank you so much for calling in today. It was a pleasure having you on. This is one of my favorite episodes now. I've learned so much. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. The fine devilfish. All righty. All righty, guys. We will be back in two weeks with Paul Goble. We will be talking about season finales. Fern D, as always, thank you for sticking around for 40 minutes now after we hashed it out politically wow. for the last two hours. Always. I think my brain is fried. Well, that's yeah, a good thing. It was so much fun, but I think my brain needs a rest. <laughs> All righty, guys. We will see you in two weeks. Um, Ignorance Equations taking a little bit of break while we build our new server and just kind of check out the pages, and we'll be around. Thanks, guys. Bye, guys. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.